The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO, NorthSouthConnection.com. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, come over here, this way is that. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, it, we call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Yeah. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Place to be Nation, welcome back to the one and only Place to be Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosario, you here from the revamped PTB Studios. If you're listening on the normal Place to be Nation wrestling feed, I want to let you know this is also available via video on the North South Connection uh, YouTube channel. And of course, joining me as always, as those watching can see, is our PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. This is uh, unique and different. Good I've never seen you before. You. Is, I, I know, this looks great. Right <laughs> it's like Ben. It's like Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, welcome, everyone, to episode 622 of the longest running. Oh, can I say it? Can I, can I just yeah, you can part? say it. No, you okay. can say it. Well, I just want to make sure. I wasn't sure what the video rules were. The longest running, but a fucking gold standard. As you just no nudity. Unless you're no nudity. <laughs> oh, no, he gets, the... <laughs> he's got a contract. He has to. So, uh, JR, it's good to be with you, and, and uh, good evening. or Happy birthday. Or no so listeners happy birthday 12 yes. years old crazy you imagine it is crazy it's almost a um, misfit time it's what, funny what how i know <laughs> in dog years <laughs> um and it's funny as as we're as we go on tonight for our special show with our awesome guest you'll see some little little tidbits pop up on the history of not just the show we're doing but of our show and our network mm-hmm. and you'll see how like our schedules changed over the years cuz you and i have always mm-hmm. kind of we did twice a week once a month twice a night and you'll see like the, the anniversary shows kind of have weird gaps and then be tight. And it's, yeah, it's pretty funny all the years and all the different things we've done, but uh, I'll know it, it's, it's, it's been a, a legacy to this point and it's great to be with you always. And let's keep it going. There's no need to stop. Uh, we, we, we bring it in every, every week. Tear up my retirement speech right now. They're saying that. All right, yeah. I had it all you say that every year you retire. You wrote your retirement speech in 2016. So it's, yeah, it might have been before that. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm like, um, yeah. So you, you, you hinted at it, but 
if you're not watching the video, one of the special things we're doing is we're always trying to come up with something different for these anniversary episodes. Um, we're going to be doing like a pop-up video type thing. All right, we've got producer Tim in the studio with us. And as we're going throughout the episode, if you're watching on YouTube, on the on the screen, we'll have different fun facts about, either, like Scott said, the history of the podcast or yep. the history, uh, some of the pop culture vintage stuff we've got going on or WrestleMania 25, which is what we're covering tonight. Um, so it's a little added bonus if you're watching the video feed of this. Uh, or if you're listening to it and you want to pop over and see some of the cool fun facts that are going to pop up on the screen, uh, kind of old school VH1 style is what we decided to go with tonight to mix it up. But uh, if you're looking at the video, you can see we do have a third man in the booth. As always, there's only one guest we could have for a historical show like this, and that is the official PTBN historian. He is my partner over on the Wrestling Warzone. That's Mr. Chad Campbell. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Uh, you are starting to look like Tom Brady this year, so it might be time to... Uh give their retirement speech <laughs> looking a little ghostly up there yeah that's, no. i was gonna take that as a positive i mean wow how old's brady 45 all right 45. yeah getting there i guess yep. Yep. getting there i'll take it uh all right so we'll go ahead and just dive right in i guess like we usually do so scott um why don't we go head back in time why don't you tell us what's going on uh this week in pro wrestling in 1995 as far as other live shows go well uh let us uh we do have actually a busy a day in 1995 on april 5th uh in fact the wcw show that uh happened uh is right behind chad's uh deck uh but first wwf and this one jr is close to your deck so on april 5th 1995 uh the world wrestling federation uh, was doing a TV uh, a challenge action zone taping in Lowell at the Memorial mm-hmm. Auditorium in Lowell, Massachusetts, where I feel like JR, we're gonna hear a lot of that over the next year because I feel like they went there a lot in 1995 and even early 96. You know, mm-hmm. it only seats 2,500. It was a sellout, or I don't know, WWF sellout, but it was a sellout. Uh, they taped four. I'm not gonna get into all of them, but they taped four action zones, um, and three, um. Uh, challenges uh nothing really crazy diesel and bigelow wrestled so you might have enjoyed that um let's see the 416 oh this is good uh <laughs> on the 41695 challenge it was a vignette this is right in your wheelhouse it's a vignette of bob Backlund with his suit and bow tie on the beach in florida during spring break <laughs> uh included a segment in which uh fourth grader jasmine mcneil from ps384 in bushwick new york read an essay she wrote about drug abuse, an appearance from The Undertaker, Hunter. Uh, actually, uh, this actually is kind of memorable. Featured the first vignette promoting the debut of the Blue Blood from Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> I feel like every year these guys that like you think don't start till the summer, you forget how early the vignettes start. So I think even like mm-hmm. Skip's vignettes start like right around now too. And like those are the guys you think of more like July – or so, like, versus, like, April, you know? So it's crazy, like, right after Mania, like, you're already seeing right. Hunter Hearst Helmsley vignettes. Right, and he de- and he starts wrestling in, what, June, I think, right? Yeah, June, he wrestles, uh, I guess, Jeff Hardy or Matt Hardy, one of the Hardys. And then he wrestled, uh, what's his name, the guy that he that he spiked on the uh, on the pedigree because the guy didn't know how to land it right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, new head shrinker, smoking guns, bunch of different uh, vignettes there. Uh, let's see, the 42395, uh, of course, this is a month past WrestleMania 11. Uh, the announcement, Bret Hart would face Hakushi and Razor Ramon and the 123 Kid 
uh, would face Jeff Jarrett and the roadie at the inaugural in your house, which would take place. I'm sure uh, Herb will talk about it in a few weeks at the very first in your house in Syracuse. Uh, another Bob Backlund uh, <laughs> in Florida during spring break in which he interrupted a wet t-shirt contest and told a crowd of several hundred they needed stronger morals. I can only imagine. Mm. I can only imagine Backlund doing that. Kabooving. Young man. No kabooving with wet t-shirts. This is, by the way, this is Ted DiBiase's last appearance on commentary. Actually, that's extra sad because that means you know what's coming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, so. So there you go. So that so was he the, was uh, still doing. He was still doing commentary like that far into the corporate because the corporation's been a thing since July at least. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he was. I thought he like kind of was done in the booth. I knew he did Action Zone in the studio with Todd, but I thought he was done in the booth like while the corporation. Who do you challenge with, uh, Vince? Right? Was no, challenge? Uh, no, Vince? I think it was like friggin' like Stan Lane or whatever. Was for it Stan a minute. Lane? Yeah, maybe. Nah, Vince probably only or was it. Uh, yeah, because it wasn't Pengill. Pengill was action zone. No, who the hell did the challenge? I don't know. It might have been. I don't know how long Lane was there. Right, Chad? Was it. Was it Stan? No, I know Stan Lane did do some challenge, but I have no I idea. I think Vince, Vince probably just did Raw. I don't think Vince, Vince never did a challenge. No, Vince did yeah, no. And Gorilla. I'm, and Gorilla I'm sure did. these episodes will be on uh, Peacock very soon. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile. meanwhile wcw on that night was in uh chad's backyard dalton georgia uh on april 5th 1500 paid uh there were some dark matches uh your television champion uh arn anderson fought alex wright to a draw lord steven regal and bobby eaton defeated brad armstrong and tim horner tim horner was still wrestling in 95 oh yeah that's right and uh that's Horton. Uh, Jim Duggan defeated Steve Austin. Then on the uh, uh, there was a main event taping on that night. Brian Pillman uh, defeated WCW TV champion Arn Anderson for, by disqualification at 8.03 when Flair broke the cover after Pillman hit a bulldog off the top. Anderson originally won the match at 7.08 by reversing a backdrop into a roll-up and grabbing Flair from the outside for added leverage. But Alex Wright and referee Nick Patrick came out to dispute the call. Uh, moments later, Wright and Flair began brawling on the floor while Pillman and Anderson fought in the ring with Pillman hitting the bulldog off the top. Oh, and give me a right Flair so, feud. That'd be hot. Would be cool. <laughs> all right. So there you I'm go. Sure so they face all. Yeah. So there you go. There's your uh, shows on this date, April 5th, 1995. The WWF was in Lowell, Massachusetts, and WCW was in Dalton, Georgia. So from there, uh, JR, why don't we uh, fire up a very heavy dose a very fat herb lots of herb it is it is the anniversary sized herb coons tidbits <laughs> notes big we six big ribbon six pack of herb notes. i'm gonna start big. on february 23rd hulk hogan retained his wcw title by disqualification against vader at super bowl sunday when rick flair stormed the ring after ref bump vader had hogan pinned an irate flair at ringside hit the ring due to a mock three count to do a mock three count vader was by far the far star of the show the wrestling pay-per-view product was noticeably worse than a year ago at this time. Flair and Vader versus Hogan and Company feud could be good, and this wasn't a bad beginning for the storyline. Positive herb on that. Mm. Here's a dream I wish would have come true. There's still talk that Jesse Ventura is going to be talked back into the role of a Monday Night Raw color commentator. In the meantime, there's talk that the interim weeks of color commentary will be fielded by a variety of folks, from Jerry Lawler down to 
Duke Drosy. <laughs> Down is the correct <laughs> word for that. Wow. Down Duke wow. Wow. Jesse in 95 and 96 might have made Raw like so much better if he was in there with Vince. Like, oh, easily. Easily. He probably trying to like someone. I, I don't know. Probably trying to justify yeah. all those all those crappy heels, you know. <laughs> you know how great Mantar is, McMahon. <laughs> Jesse commenting on Goldust in late mm. 95. Oh, he, yeah. He'd have been gone for sure. <laughs> it would have been an what easy gig for him. He really had to work like what 12, 12 nights a year. I mean, that's they did yeah. the one month taping and maybe yeah. you know the pay per views or whatever if they wanted them to. Right. So, all right, according to the Observer, WCW is going to run nine pay per views and two clashes in 1995 and maybe go to 10 or 11 pay per views in 1996. Prices are increasing to 27.50 by May, which makes this an expensive experiment for loyal fans. TV product is sure to become even more devoted to pushing the next pay per view since it'll only ever be one month away. So, 95 is the year both companies went full on all on a pay per view. Yeah. So here we are. Yep. Uh, let's continue to talk to Rick Rude. We'd like to return to WCW. The Steiners are originally going to debut in an interview with Super Brawl, but they only will come into it immediately get a tag title match with Harlem Heat, and it wasn't built up to that level. We can expect to see Harlem Heat push like mad the next few months to set up a Steiners return. WCW is a pay-per-view called Uncensored. The rumored lineup is Hulk Hogan versus Vader on March 19th. WrestleMania 11 on April 2nd. Lineup has Diesel with Roddy Piper versus Shawn Michaels with Sid Vicious for the world title. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor. Undertaker versus King Kong Bundy and Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund. Although it's apparently true that one of the little boys from Home Improvement, not sure which, but it isn't Tim Allen, will be at WrestleMania. The rumor that Dink will... The rumor that Dink uh, will shove him ringside to set up a match at King of the Ring are unsubstantiated. (laughs) Yeah. Herb's not picking up Tiger Bean, I guess. Nope. <laughs> WCW has Slamboree on May 21st, 1995. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage versus Vader and Ric Flair. Sting versus Big Bubba Rogers. And Kevin Sullivan versus the man with no name. Uh, then he's got this long, long re- recap of a Bill Watts interview from some publication. Mm-hmm. Uh, any thoughts on those notes besides any you would have commented on there? No, he was, he was pretty cut and dry, it seemed, at this point. He had everything kind of... You know, you had a beat on things. I don't know. What the, I mean, I, I don't really remember. I have to say, though, I don't really remember the Jesse thing being that hot and heavy, though. I wonder. I mean, I don't know if it was just because they thought it might have been one of those. It might have been one of those like. He was already you know, mayor, right? Of Brooklyn Park. Keep using that mm-hmm. specials. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But he was definitely already mayor, right? Of Brooklyn yeah. Park. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think he was doing anything else. I mean, he was still mayor when he commented in WCW. Yeah, that's true. Right. Like oh, yeah, yeah. Like, sure. 92. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know to think about it. Okay. And for a time was doing the uh, Minnesota Viking. Oh, right. Commentary I forgot too. about that. That's yeah. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. March 3rd, Canadian readers, at least those in southern Ontario that subscribe to Rogers Cable will find this interesting. The, in quotes, Italian and Hispanic cable channel Tele Latino airs Lucha Libre every Tuesday at 12.15. He goes on to talk about that. Mentions our boy Cibernetico, Chad. We'll be talking about him soon on Wrestling Warzone. Um, as mentioned countless times already, it looks like the price tag for Lawrence to have Lawrence Taylor wrestle Bam Bam Bigelow is $500,000. Originally, it was said that LT was earning $100,000 for the Rumble and $100,000 for the match. I've heard two reports that LT will be called Lawrence the Giant, a play on words. <laughs> Thankfully, we did not get that. So that is stupid. awful. Five hundred. Vince had five hundred thousand dollars. My God, Lawrence the Ooh. Giant. Wow, half that roster would have got fired. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of money for nineteen ninety five for a football player. If true, 
Reports about Jesse Ventura working in the WWF vary. Meltzer reports the two have not had any contact about Jesse commentating. I've heard that the two sides spoke, but were too far apart to reach an agreement. Keep in mind, there's a lot of legal history between the two. Last word is that Shane Douglas and Michael Hayes were going to get tryouts for the Monday Night Raw color commentator spot, with Douglas already having his schedule. If this is the case, one has to believe he'd no longer work for ECW if he got the WWF job. Yeah. I mean, he does come in. I guess you know, there's just some cross lines, and Michael Hayes obviously ends up being the one that gets the job, so he doesn't get the raw I, job, he gets the commentary job. Yeah, like how did Duke Drosy and Shane Douglas like how did their names get I know, right? in? That's neither that's one. Well, December into like February, they do the guest thing every week. They had a different person in, and they do that for a bit. Um, I know Sean did a couple. I think they were. I don't know if they're transitioning Lawler like more in the ring. And less on the booth on Raw. It seemed like they were doing that. And then he just ends up doing Raw. Um, mm. Doc, I think, ends up... I, I don't know if he ends up on Superstars. Or if he, he might take DiBiase's spot on Challenge, actually, I think. Mm. Um, you know, it might have still been Gorilla, Scott, on Challenge at that point. Because I think Gorilla and DiBiase did some stuff together. And he yeah, might be let me take a look. I'll, I'll try to confirm yeah. that. Let me see. Let me check Challenge. Speaking of the Ventura thing, what Melzer did say... What did Mills say that pissed people off? That it appeared that something was starting on a computer bulletin board, which people should have known better to report as a news item. So it's all the way back then, like Melzer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. God. That's great. Like you could copy and paste that straight to 2023. <laughs> That's true. The WCW Cruiserweight Tournament will be bumped back a few months. There are supposed, uh, supposedly honest plans of bringing in talent from New Japan and AAA. To maybe even use some smaller independent talent. Meltzer has mentioned Jerry Estrada Lat Lover as candidates. Uh, of course, they'd end up actually with WWF. Not, not yeah, like those are both triple A talent, and right. most of the ones that, yeah, nope. All right, so Let's talk the Undertaker. Just, oh, good. Yep. No, I was gonna say I found it. So it looks like uh, Stan Lane and DBS Jr. Stan Lane and DiBiase did it. From uh, on one date on February of '95, but from March 5th to April 23rd of '95, it was Gorilla and DiBiase. Okay, that's a so. challenge. And then Doc, and I then, think Doc takes over. No, uh, Jr. takes over. With who? Oh, wow. oh with DiBiase? With Gorilla? It with? No, with Gorilla. It's Jr. and Gorilla oh. from April 30th. That's a weird pairing. Yeah, from April 30th about. to June 11th of '95, Doc doesn't doesn't go with Jr. until. August 6th. And challenge ends when the action zone starts, right? Isn't that the end? Oh no, the action's already started. Action, action zone already started. started. It looks like the yeah. last the last episode of challenge was the same day as SummerSlam. August 27th okay. of So maybe Doc was doing superstars then. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, there's talk to Undertaker will return from his knee injury by the middle of the month. Meltzer reports he's married to Bigelow until Mania. Other reports say Undertaker's going to be out longer than expected, not returning until May. No Undertaker match at WrestleMania? That's a plus. <laughs> WCW will have a pay-per-view called Uncensored. Rumored lineup, Hogan, Vader, and a strap match. Sting versus Big Bubba. Savage versus Avalanche. Harlem Heat versus Nasty Boys in a Tornado match. Dustin Rhodes versus Blacktop Bully in a King of the Road match. Arn Anderson versus Johnny B. Bad in a Wrestler Boxer match. And the King of the Road to take place in the back of a truck. So he says rumored, but I'm guessing they had taped, they probably taped the TV at Worldwide by the time he did this, and mm-hmm. the reports were out. Yeah, for the. They, they may have taped the King of the Road match by the time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, WrestleMania lineup is still the same four matches. He says there is doubt around Undertaker's match. Uh, Slambury is still the same. 
So that's that. So not much else going on there. So go ahead to March 9th. Sting has reportedly signed a contract renewal with WCW. They'll keep him in the organization until 2000. There's some talk that Rick Root is close to getting a job as well. There's also talk that the Steiners and Road Warriors will return to WCW for the June 95 pay-per-view since Hogan won't be working that show. Meltzer reported in the March 7th Observer that Super Brawl did roughly a .95 buy rate, which is a shade behind the Royal Rumble. Eric Watts has received a tryout with the WWF, as did Michael Hayes, and of course both would get hired. In the hopes of getting the character over, Kama has been put with Ted DiBiase. <laughs> That's going to get him over. <laughs> Uh, uncensored now, he has the lineup as announced, and it's all the same matches that he just said. Uh, WrestleMania, he's now added Diesel with Piper versus Sean with uh, Sean with Sid Bigelow. With the he must have heard rumors that Piper was going to be there, maybe he just assumed. Or I, I was gonna say, where does this Piper come from? I know, right? Well, he yeah, is the dude. ref for the Brett match, so maybe there were rumors that he was coming in for the show and people were just stick he had no association with Diesel by this point, right? Or period, no, no, okay, no. Uh, Bigelow with the Million Dollar Team versus Lawrence Taylor with his NFL cronies. <laughs> Men on a Mission versus the Smoking Guns for the tag team titles. I could see him thinking that may happen because they were Men on a Mission do the heel turn right before Mania by attacking the Smoking Guns. Um, so right. I could see why there may be a thought that might end up on there. Jarrett versus Razor for the IC title. Luger versus Tatanka potentially in a strap match. Ba- uh, Bret Hart versus Backlund. Taker versus Bundy. Uh, Men on a Mission have turned heel. <laughs> There's already talk Undertaker will face Yokozuna instead of Bundy at WrestleMania. That makes a weird video there deals with Yokozuna's disappearance make a little bit of sense. Rumors are back that LT is only getting $100,000 for WrestleMania match, which makes more sense. And then uh, Slam Burr <laughs> a lot more sense. three matches. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that, Batch? Um, uh, you know what? There was something you said at the beginning. Uh, that, oh, I know what it was. So, all right. Chad, maybe you can shed some light on this. So, according to to Herb, Sting's contract was all the way to two thousand. Oh, Yet the the Sting in ninety six stuff was moderately legit in some in some circles. So, if he had a contract just signed and that deal was for the next five year, almost six years, what, did he have an out? Did he have like an opt out or something? Like, I I, I don't. I'm curious. That, that's where I'm a little curious. I feel there's a disconnect there. Did he have a deal for six years and that was all lip service? Or was it not for six years and Herb's not really – maybe maybe it's opt-outs every year? Because I feel like the whole Sting in 96 thing was kind of – had some legs, it felt like. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how long this contract would be. The stuff in 96 is based on appearances. So I do know that whatever contract he signs, there's a cap on his appearances. And that's why in like 96, they had to scale back because he was already at his maximum. Right. Yeah, he was running a lot in in 95, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, you were talking about, uh, so Doc takes over doc and uh vince do an episode of superstars april 15th 95 then it's vince jr and lawler uh hmm. till december and then kurt when when uh perfect comes back he replaces that's right yeah that's right yeah lawler so For the last and then it changes when they go to um syndication I think, actually for most Sunday. of right for most of 93 94 and it's early 95 it was your boy johnny polo with yeah vince. yeah he does a lot of 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, all right. March 17th, uh, uncensored card. He's got it pretty much nailed. Ming versus Duggan and a martial arts match has been added. The King of the Road match will take place in the back of a truck. They've hinted that Hulk Hogan will have an ultimate surprise for Vader, which is supposed to be the unveiling of the Road Warriors. Joe Pettisino reported earlier in the week that the Warriors return will have to be postponed and that Rio, Lord of the Jungle, will be the new surprise. Of course, that ends up being the Renegade. <laughs> Good Lord. Lundra Blaze. Lundra Blaze is signing autograph at Energy Workouts on Dixon Road in Mississauga, Ontario. So if you're interested in that, he runs out the car for the local Toronto house show. Um, as mentioned earlier in the group, Meltzer and others have reported WCW has talked about creating a new four horsemen comprised of Ric Flair, Vader, Steve Austin, and Arn Anderson. Take a moment to digest that. Oh, a pretty cool team. Flair, yeah. Vader, Austin, and Lauren. That's that's a good one. This group would eventually feud with the Road Warriors. What a shock. A WCW storyline doesn't involve Hulk Hogan. It can't happen. Speaking of Hogan, he was voted Personnel of the Year in Florida. There's no truth to the rumor that he also won Ego of the Year. Meltzer also reports that WDF commentators were hinting that Teddy Biasi is going to steal Mantar from Jim Cornette. Cornette is paying Ted to take him, is what I heard. The WF has followed suit and will have several cheaply priced pay-per-views to line up this year, including, and even more next year, bringing this year's total to nine, including UFC and the potential Triple R show. There'll be as many as 24 pay-per-views this year. He runs down the uh, EMLL show, kind of talks about that. WrestleMania, still got Piper with Diesel, still the rest of the matches in place. (laughs) And that's that. All right, let's go. Two two more to go. March 23rd. I mean, when did they... It'd be interesting to see, I guess, when they announce Piper's the guest ref for back when. Yeah. So we only got two more to go for him. So. And we haven't even heard. Uh, well, no, Jenny that McCarthy. was a surprise, though. That, that wasn't oh, announced ahead yeah. of time. Right, it, that's right, a surprise right. at Mania. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, right. He hasn't mentioned Pamela Anderson or Jenny McCarthy or any of the celebrities. Uh, yeah, right. He's probably hoping. I think, it's funny that, I think it's funny that Herb, that things are so thin that Herb had to waste a line talking about the talent pilfering of Mantar <laughs> made it sound so like, you know, like when, uh, you know, boss man and D- and uh, Bobby and all that, like, Oh no, Jim Cornette's going to lose Mantar. <laughs> it's like, so, so I don't know. I just find that pretty funny that that was a big deal for her in that, uh, in the, in that uh, report. All right. WCW's Uncensored pay-per-view took place on Sunday. No titles on the line, but the show deserves mention as one of the worst efforts from top to bottom in recent memory. They raised their prices for this. The King of the Road match between Dusty Rhodes and Black Top Bully was filmed in advance in Atlanta. Both guys juiced, although the editors tried hard to pick camera angles to hide it. There are already reports that Mike Graham, Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, and Black Top Bully were all let go due to the blood of the match, with Graham saying he had been given the go-ahead, but everyone denying it. Hulk Hogan's surprise did turn out to be real Lord of the Jungle, as Joe Pettisino first reported on the net a few days before the show. He used the name Renegade. It was just another Ultimate Warrior clone with a hasty and uncreative face paint job. Besides Ric Flair's interview, the only highlight of the show was Sherry Martell's performance during the concession stand brawl. Poor Sherry bared her breasts and seemed to injure her wrist at the end of the match. The other famous Tupelo concession stand took place in 1981 with Eddie Gilbert and Ricky Morton taking on Masafuchi and Ash- Atsushishi Unida. Easy for me to say. Sushi Onita. It's a lot of pressure on video. Yeah. With the uncensored debacle in mind, consider the following report from the Observer. Grammar attacked. Flair apparently furious about the booking on March 6th told everyone he's going to quit the company in the week. But everything was worked out by March 9th. Not exactly sure the pro- problems or what major issues there were, but he was mad that Hulk Hogan wouldn't work the TV tapings that were held during the week. So they had to create a brand new storyline. Nick Bockwinkle suspended him from TV, which were for the last two weeks before the pay-per-view. There's also a continuation with the problems regarding Randy Savage, as Savage wants the Hogan power of booking all of his own programs. Flair and Hogan both want to recreate the 80s. They each have different versions of what the 80s were. There's almost no way to meet the minds. 
wasn't much different from Ricky Choshu, except he's smart enough to know how you got to put new guys in the same position. Choshu is redoing the successful 1983 angle, but unlike Flair, who in his mid-40s wants to play a playboy heel, Choshu in his 40s plays the Anoki Fujinami establishment role. He gives the outlaw heel role to the younger guys who fit it, like Tenzon, and thus gives them a chance to get over and build the future. Flair wants to redo the Horsemen and the Road Warriors with the original cast of characters, and Hogan wants to redo the Ultimate Warrior with a New England Indian wrestler, indie wrestler called Rio Lord of the Jungle and Andre the Giant with Paul White and push them to the moon immediately, but with Hogan and Savage characters doing the same they did in their prime. Interesting I already mentioned a white. I know they had him in the crowd early, but this is like super early for him to already kind of be on the radar. I feel like um, I know he shows up in yeah, the dungeon right? when Hogan's perusing the dungeon. <laughs> that one, mm. that one scene perusing. Mm. Uh, now let's talk again. Start of the observer. The WC wants to create the new horseman, but now it's Flair, Arn, Austin, and Kurt Hennig. Sounds excellent on paper, but Meltzer points out Hennig hardly needs to wrestle these days. Uh, is that inquire recap of an inquire story at Hogan? Brian Adams, otherwise known as Crush, has been arrested in Kona, Hawaii, for receiving anabolic steroids <laughs> in the mail to his home. Police were on the package, and when Adams accepted the delivery, they pounced on him, searched his home, rise of additional charges for marijuana possession and possession of an unregistered semi automatic handgun. Adams is out on bail. There's speculation that Owen Hart's surprise tag team partner will be Yokozuna or Chris Benoit. The Yokozuna, Yokozuna mm. rumor stems from recent photos from WrestleMania, where the big guy is finally mentioned again. The Benoit rumor stems from the Observer, where Meltzer mentioned that Dreyfus is interested in pushing Hart and Benoit to the top. Meltzer also mentioned there was some confusion of where Men on a Mission would get the tag title match at WrestleMania in place of Hart and his mystery partner, but this seems like the direction they were going, saying the MOM weren't at TV and aren't around right now. I read, have a report from a friend who's not on the internet that the Toronto Day show this Saturday was abysmal with nothing over two stars and only Shawn Michaels' effort and Bull Nakano's presence being worth the price of admission. I know we had one pretty positive review elsewhere on the net. Uh, he talks about his thoughts on Raw. We don't need that. More on the cheap, uh, newly added pay-per-views. They'll only be two hours long, effectively playing the role of old Saturday Night's Men events or Clash of the Champions. Issues will be developed on these shows to set up the more expensive pay-per-views. All the regular pay-per-views are the reg prices increased. WrestleMania this year costs $34.95, which is a record high price for wrestling pay-per-view. He runs down the WrestleMania card. We still got Piper with Diesel here. Bigelow LT, Owen and the Mystery Partner versus the Guns, Jarrett versus Ramon with the 123 Kid, Luger and British Bulldog versus the Brothers Blue, Undertaker Bundy, Hart versus Backland. Uh, Mike Rotunda is apparently strongly considering retirement. Didn't consider it strongly mm. enough, sadly. No. Paul Roma is his history with WCW, mostly due to his attitude about putting over Alex Wright. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Slambury lineup is still the same three matches, but he says this could change with the arrival of the exciting Renegade. He's such an asshole. Um, He's got a long thing, long thing on Bill Watts again, which I'm not going to go over. All right, last one. Here we go. WrestleMania is this Sunday. WrestleMania 11. This is from March 31st. Diesel with Roddy Piper versus Shawn Michaels oh, with Sid. So right till the end. Wow. Bigelow versus LT. Owen Hart, a mystery partner versus the Smoking Guns. Uh, Jarrett uh, versus Ramon, Luger and Bulldog versus the Blues, Taker versus Bundy, Hart versus Backland. Talk persists that Chris Benoit will be Owen's mystery tag partner and immediately win the tag titles. Some are actually reporting this as a fact. Everyone seems to think that Shawn Michaels will win the DF title after WrestleMania DF hits Germany to beat the post-WrestleMania Blues. W Series has been moved to the TBS sports umbrella, but the company plans to focus on the child audience more than ever. The invisible logic says this is the way that pro wrestling achieved its greatest success, right? Well, someone thinks that. This also explains the creative camera work at Uncensored. We can't show the baby face getting pasted with a chair by the heel, but we can show the baby face doing the pasting. 
Life Magazine ran a short piece on WCW's training school. Uh, reports are leveling off a uh, 0.9 or so buy rate for Uncensored. There's two months before the next pay-per-view, so fans will have some time to get the taste out of their mouth for that show. Uh, he runs on the full pay-per-view card for the year, which I'm not going to get into. Uh, WCW Slamboree is still the same three. And that's it. More of the Watts interview. And we're out. So, <laughs> Any final thoughts there on uh, a very lengthy batch of herb? I think... I. Oh, sorry, Chad. Good. I just the stuff with Piper is really dumb. Like, if this is the go home episode, like, if he was gonna be in this corner, they would have mentioned it. So I don't know why he still has hope that that's gonna be some surprise or happen. I, I don't know. I, there must have just been a rumor sense. that Piper was gonna be there, and and it must have just been like floating around the net. You know, like, oh, this yeah. is probably what it is or something. Mm. Yeah, I mean the the. The fact he was there was not wrong. So obviously that rumor is strong. I don't know where he hooked Diesel yeah. to that. But um, the other, uh, I, I think, I, I can't believe at that point in 1995, Vince would have thought outside the box on this. But I think like Benoit and, and Owen would have been an amazing tag team. They would have been probably used better than he was used probably early on in, in WCW anyway. He really didn't peak until late 96, early 97. But uh, uh when they announced that Bundy was going to be uh, Taker's opponent, I think that pretty much, I mean, where else were you going to stick Yoko if you weren't going to have him in a match? I right. guess he could have run in or, well, I shouldn't say run, but. Uh, could have just had him show up the next night on Raw, too. I mean, if they wanted to yeah, have they him just there. Waited. Yeah, they could have yeah, just waited. I, I, I'm curious how close they were with Benoit. Like, I mean, it was, it was been rumored ever. I don't think this is like a bullshit one. Like, you've heard Benoit's name in a lot of places for this, that this was going to be his spot. He had had the tryout right. matches on Raw, I think, before this. Not on Raw, but on the dark matches and stuff. So I think, mm. you know, it was probably down to the, the two of them last minute. I mean, Owen Yoko works as a main event team. It does well, but mm-hmm. you're thinking of a whole different 95 if you have Owen and Benoit dominating the tag division on top of it. I mean, that would have been crazy. And you have Benoit. I mean, if you think about it, if Benoit sticks around, you got Benoit eventually joining Camp Cornette with, you know, with Owen and Bulldog. And that's pretty, it's pretty amazing for 96. Boy, you talk about spicing up what was kind of a flat mid card, you know, right. maybe Goldust, maybe Goldust doesn't win that. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll get, we'll talk about when we get there, but I mean, yeah. maybe he doesn't win the IC belt in the beginning of 96. I don't know. Be different, yeah. I think Bulldog ballgame. and Luger versus Benoit and Owen would have been pretty good, like better than what we get with Yoko, you know, um, even the guns, oh, yeah. like you might've seen just a little bit overall better quality with Benoit helping yeah, carry it. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, pretty soon on Herb Scott, we'll be talking to little King Mabel as well. Of course, he'll be, his turn is coming too. And uh, along mm-hmm. that is the can- candy girl, of course. And um, <laughs> that's right. Speaking of candy, the number one song in the nation, actually number two song in the nation this mm-hmm. week in 1995, candy rain by soul for real. And that brings us into Scott Criscolo's vintage pop culture corner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're playing it because uh, I needed to remember the song itself. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember this one. I don't either. No. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, it was the number two song. Take a Bow by Madonna was number one. Uh, the rest of the uh, top ten for this week ending April 8th, uh, 1995. 
Uh, Run Away by The Real McCoy at number three. Red Light Special by TLC at number four. That's a great song. Strong Enough by Sheryl Crow at number five. This is how this is how we do it by Montel Jordan at six. Creep by TLC at seven. Uh, and of course, an ad popped on my screen here. Uh, Baby by Brandy at eight. I know by Dion Ferris. I know what you do. Man, that, that that was an earworm in 1995. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, your boy uh, Jr. Little Biggie. With Big Papa at number ten slash, that is a warning. strong top ten. It's yeah. a very, it's interesting. It's a very, again, like early '95 seems very heavy with like R&B and hip hop. Like the last yeah. few we've had have been very strong with that. I mean, that whole list yep. pretty much. So like Sheryl Crow and Madonna. Yeah, I'm trying to think who was like at the eleven and twelves. And look at that, Desiree at eleven, Adina mm-hmm. Howard at twelve, Brownstone at thirteen, Freak Like Me. Who? who yeah, uh, Freak Like Me. Is that me? the song? Yeah, that was That's the twelfth biggest song in the country. It's crazy. At that week, well, I'm sure in our future episodes, I'm sure it'll slowly start to, uh, it'll start to move up. So let's go from the radio to the uh, movies as we go to. I gotta call this fact out. Who wrote? Did you write this fact? <laughs> you think it took 366 episodes for me to get sick of you? I didn't write that. <laughs> maybe you should uh maybe your uh creative director there should uh <laughs> stick it back to uh, where the sun don't shine yeah, um uh, precious uh, baby boy is a little egregious too yeah that's all tough <laughs> that's all tough. <laughs> Being kind to him yeah. <laughs> Lord. uh anyway asshole taped my mouth shut with duct tape last time i missed it <laughs> uh all right let's take a look at Let's take a look at the uh, the top 10 uh, in the movies on this weekend, April 7th, 1995. Number 10, Muriel's Wedding. Oof. Yeah, some of them. Oh, God. Not a great mid-90s in movies, seems like. Number 9, Rob Roy was making its debut on MG. I don't know, I even know what that is. Number 8, Major Pain. What's the name? Classic. Damon Wayne. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Damon. Number 7, Little Stephen King action, Dolores Claiborne. Number 6, Circle of Friends. Number 5, Outbreak. Uh, how fitting that would be in what 25 years? I'm going to start with that uh, one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don Juan DeMarco made its debut at number four. Tommy Boy uh, at number three after one week. It was doing very well. And then two premieres at the top two uh, a goofy movie, mm. uh, obviously animated goofy. And number one, uh, pretty great movie, by the way, and would spawn a couple of sequels Bad Boys. Mm. Martin Lawrence and uh, and Will Smith. So all right, we got better. There was, I uh, think Don DeMarco is one of those things you used to say without ever having. Like I've never seen the movie. I can tell you who's in it, but I'm sure I used to say I used to call people Don DeMarco just like as a <laughs> as a joke. It's one of those things that gets like in your head, even though you don't know who the fuck it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. So, uh, so there's your uh, there's your movies for this. Goofy week. movie is great. Goofy movie is great. That, that's a yeah. Yeah. I would say oh, it's their best. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, it's not by Walt Disney Animated Studio. Like, it's not one of right. the the lineage. I would say it's in contention for the best of not by that studio, but mm-hmm. still released by Walt Disney. Right. What is what is Goofy like? What are their obsession with the seventies? Is it just because that's when like their biggest stuff was? I feel like Goofy in that movie and others like he's obsessed with disco. Like even the Mickey and Minnie stuff, like when you read like books and stuff, like kids' books, like they feel very stuck in the 70s. That whole program. Mm. It's when Walt Disney World was built, so big time for them. Yeah, they did a lot of 
did a lot of uh i feel like they definitely did more live action in the 70s than they did uh, animated the animated really didn't kick in again until the, the early 90s probably with what little mermaid or beauty and the beast whatever one came first uh little mermaid maybe yeah so let's go to the hardwood and see what was going on this date in the nba april 5th 1995 there were uh seven games on the docket uh jr your hornets with an 18 point win over the sixers uh, the Lakers lost to Dallas. Uh, the, uh, the Hawks won. Uh, Chad, seven. Uh, nine we need a fun in. fact like that. Hang on. On this date in 1995, the Lakers lost to Dallas, just yep. like in season one of the Place to Be podcast when Scott Criscoll's Lakers also yes. lost to Dallas. That's right. Dallas winning the NBA championship. The NBA championship in 2011. Yes, when Lamar Odom lost his mind and started shoving people like an idiot. Um, yeah, I remember that. Uh, Earth. Anyway. Uh, so here are the standings uh, at the moment. Uh, the Magic running away with things in the Atlantic, fifty-four and nineteen. Of course, that was uh, Penny and uh, Penny and uh, Shaq. Uh, the Pacers lead the Central at forty-eight and twenty-six. Uh, the Hornets only three games back at forty-four and twenty-eight. Uh, San Antonio leads the Midwest at fifty-three and eighteen, and Seattle leads the uh, Pacific at fifty-one and twenty-one. We go from the hardwood to the frozen pond. Of course, as we've mentioned, the 94-95 uh, NHL season started in the middle because of the strike. So uh, so the records are not as meaty as they would be this time of the year. But there were eight teams. Uh, Rangers threw a shutout. Uh, let's see. Whalers beat Pittsburgh. So that's all of our local teams. Uh, the standings, Flyers lead the Atlantic with 40 points. Nordiques, their last year in Quebec. Hmm. Uh Lead the sad. North with 51 points. Very sad. Uh, the Red Wings lead the Central with 51 points, and the Flames lead the Pacific with 39 points. And finally, uh, what was, because it has been an amazing season, uh, an amazing season, of course, JR, season five of Beverly Hills 90210. And this was a another memorable episode for many reasons, actually. Uh, the episode, which aired on April 5th. It's funny that, like I said, the way the calendar is, uh, our pay-per-view days are actually Thursdays and or Wednesdays in 1995 mm-hmm. when the show was on the air. The episode was called "A Song for My Mother," kind of a very kind of a melancholy episode. Mm-hmm. Aired on April 5th, 1995. And I'm sure you remember this one, Jr. and Chad. Ray is happy <clears throat> that Donna has come to Portland, Oregon, uh, to visit him, but annoyed, although silently, silently, uh, at David who tagged along to visit his estranged mother. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. David panics when he discovers yeah. that his mother was fired no longer lives at her last known address and hasn't cashed her alimony checks for months. Uh, He turns to Donna for help and Ray behaves like a total jerk. David and Donna cannot find Sheila at any of her favorite hangouts and learn that she was recently arrested. Uh, Donna misses Ray's concert. He explodes and shoves her against a wall in their hotel room. Uh, He later feels guilty and loves David his truck. Not the last time we see that. Uh, Mel flies in from L.A. and tells David that Sheila has a lifelong history of mental illness. She mm-hmm. was diagnosed at a young age as a manic depressive and had a nervous breakdown after her divorce from Mel. Uh, they receive a tip that she is living on the streets and are able to find her and bring her to the hospital. David realizes that Donna is happy with Ray and decides to back off. Meanwhile, back in L.A., uh, Dylan explores <laughs> hypnotherapy uh, in the hopes of understanding the main character in Charlie's script, also, Valerie gets a tattoo. So a packed go. hour. <laughs> it's a lot. It uh, and I mean, what an episode because 
no Jason Priestley, no Jenny Garth, no mm-hmm. Ian Zaring, no Gabriel Carteris, no Mark Damon Espinosa, no Carol Potter, no James Eckhouse. So a very rare episode, not only that Jason Priestley's not in it or Jenny Garth's not in it, but a decent hunk of the of the uh, cast not in right. this episode. Very Donna David Ray centric. And a lot does happen as we move forward. Like right now where we are on 90210, so myself and Tim Capel, it's like one, generally one storyline with maybe a slight B1 going on. Right. And when you start moving into like this era, there's like 15 things happening at once mm-hmm. all yep. going on. So they really start to build out the stories. Well, it definitely started like once they left West Bev and went to Cal U and they started kind of doing their mm-hmm. own side things. And then we start seeing that happen. So, and uh, that JR is your pop culture corner. All right. Well, with that in the books, let's go ahead and fast forward to 2009 because tonight, right here on this very podcast, we're going to cover WrestleMania Nothing's like the opposite of the 1995 hip-hop top 10 and three old white guys jamming <laughs> out to ACDC. So That's right. Go. I, was, yep. I was expecting So Hot from Kid Rock to uh, come on. No, this is the official, official theme You're song. So Hot! No. We'll we had to hear that live, unfortunately. Yeah. So. All right, April 5th, 2009, from the Reliant Stadium in Houston, Texas. 72,744 in attendance, 960,000 buys. The 25th edition of WrestleMania. This is a very controversial one because this is when they're doing the 25th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, this, I remember this whole thing on the blog of doom, the big <laughs> argument over anniversary. This is why I say birthday for PTV because I'm not good at it. Stemming from those days. Um, <laughs> I say it's the 12th birthday of PTV. I know, right? I don't know anniversaries. Um, but anyway. I digress. It is the 25th edition of WrestleMania. The states uh, of Texas is... Uh, Chad, you want to guess how many pay-per-views have been in Texas to this point? Oh, God. I don't know. Take a shot. 17. Close. 14. Uh, how many oh, in Houston? 14. Houston, Royal Rumble, 89. Um, obviously, WrestleMania, 17. I don't know of any others, but I'm guessing there's at least one or two more. So I'm gonna go. This is the fifth. It's actually the seventh. Close again. Uh, seventh. Uh, the last one was Vengeance 07. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the second WrestleMania, of course, in Houston, like you just mentioned. X7. The tennis is 72 744. It's the eighth largest WrestleMania to this point. WrestleMania would break the record for the highest grossing pay per view in history with $6.9 million mm-hmm. in ticket sales. It'd be the last WrestleMania to feature the ECW brand on its own. Beginning in uh, on February 18th, SmackDown did a week-long tour of Mexico and South America. On February 23rd, Manu was released, a <laughs> short run from the legacy as it's getting going. And Freddie Prince Jr. gave his notice as a part of the creative team, so he's out. On uh, that same day on Raw, it was announced Vicky Guerrero would be the interim GM of Raw while continuing to be the GM of SmackDown. On March 8th, Ryan Braddock was released. On March 9th, Kazarni was released. We never get to see him, sadly. Mm. No. A uh, sad note here on March 14th, test Andrew Martin passed away from an accidental overdose at the age of 33. Super young. I mean, so he was only 23 when he first showed up. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. When he had the love him or leave him match, 23. Yeah. That's young. Yeah, it sucks. <clears throat> uh, March 14th, Jim Ross was hospitalized with walking pneumonia. 
<laughs> that same night, John Cena uh, ruthlessly made an announced appearance on Saturday Night Live. Didn't even care about JR in the hospital. <laughs> on March 16th, the WWE Encyclopedia was released. It was a pretty good book. Uh, March 20th edition of SmackDown was the 500th episode. March 22nd, Steve Dahl, formerly known as Stephen Dunn of Well Done, passed away at age 44, also very young. Uh, on the 27th, 12 Rounds, starring John Cena, opened up in theaters. The next day, Dwayne The Rock Johnson hosted the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards, and John Cena appeared as a presenter. Access took place over the weekend, the 3rd to the 5th, and the April 3rd SmackDown. Kind of a sad note here. The last appearance of Taz on uh, as commentator. Mm. He would head yeah. to TNA uh, as part of Aces and Eights and also work in color there. He would leave TNA in 2015, uh, worked a couple of appearances with WWE with ECW projects, and then back to AEW he goes, or, or to AEW he goes in 2019. Um, I was sad when Taz left. Uh, you know, I thought he was easily the best announcer they had uh, since probably the heyday of like Jesse and Bobby. Um, you know, I thought he's great for seven years that he does it. And I think he's great in AEW. Like, I think he's just awesome wherever he's gone. I think he's criminally underrated, like, all time as a wrestling personality when you look at his whole body of work. I, I think you look at his in-ring WDF and people get, like, disappointed. But I think if you look at his whole ECW stuff, his commentary work in WDF, and then all the stuff he's doing in AEW on top of it, it's, it's pretty strong. Hmm. On April 4th, they had the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Cowboy Bill Watts, the Von Erich family featuring Fritz, Kevin, David, Kerry, Michael, and Chris, Coco Beware, that was a very controversial one, <laughs> Howard Finkel, and Terry and Dory Funk. That's, that's a pretty good class. That's probably oh, yeah. one of the, the best classes they've had. As far yeah. as like legit in ring, yeah. it may be the best or one of them. Because I mean, yeah, think... Austin, Steamboat, yeah. Watts, the Von Erichs, mm-hmm. the Funks. Mm-hmm. And Fink, I mean, really, Coco's the weak link. But even, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not. I think he belongs. I'm not one of those guys who shits on it like many others did at the time. But yeah, I mean, just from like my own greatest wrestler ever list, it has three in the top thirty. So that's our top fifty. I don't know exactly where Austin would land, but uh, up there. So that's 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 a good ratio. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an amazing class. And I agree with you about Taz. I mean, Taz, when he got in that groove and him and Cole were killing it on SmackDown in like 03, 04, when mm-hmm. the kind of like this a little bit particularly, but it was mostly Raw that was the problem. Whereas SmackDown, yeah. you had all great wrestling and JR and Taz, or, um, Cole and Taz really made it fun to watch. I mean, you think of Rock's first run, you think like Taz is his personal announcer. You know, it comes to pain. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's no, he's awesome. Man. Yeah, no, it, it's a sad, it's a tough loss. It's a tough loss. But at this point, in 09, they had like five hundred zillion announcers and stuff, like kind of like they do now. And uh, it's hard to keep know. track of who's who by yeah. that point. So Taz was it was smart for Taz to go. TNA needed a a, a, a grounded name for their announcing at that point. So yeah, because what is is West? Does he leave? Because does Taz replace him in the booth? Or does what did they do with three man? I don't remember. I wasn't watching as much at that point. No, I wasn't either. I have a feeling he left. I feel like yeah, he took he like a, an upper job with uh, was it QVC? No, maybe I'm not thinking that. Um, uh, all right, real quick, we had one dark match. The Colognes defeated John Morrison and the Miz to unify the tag team titles. Um, pretty surprising result, I think. I know they're starting to push the miss. Here you go. Producer Tim's got it. Don West had a storyline walkout, which led the way for Taz. <laughs> okay. DNA expert. Yeah. August 17th. Yeah, he walked out. Yeah. So was that it? He was done after that? 
Uh, no, he came back in October 15th. He turned face. It was short-lived. And he, he said <laughs> he then appeared He then appeared mainly on TNA's internet programming and at house shows selling merch. In 2010, he became the pitch oh, yeah. man for WildWestDeals.com. So excited, didn't Scott buy the uh, brown bag special? <laughs> I did. I did. I did buy the brown bag. I did. What? I got 2012, a, right? I, yeah. I did. I got a, a. Oh God! I got like a Jeff Hart, an ugly Jeff Hardy T-shirt. I get to get a Kevin Nash doll, um, and a couple of Blu-ray uh, DVDs, like knockouts, yeah. and I think Foley or whatever. But for ten bucks, it was it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. So. Well, R.I.P. Dapper Don. Uh, yes, <laughs> infectious personality. Yes. All right, uh, Scott, so why don't we head into the show itself? We get a pretty good video package. It really focuses on the history of WrestleMania, uh, the best moments, the top matches of the night. We come inside the arena where Fink welcomes in Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls to sing mm-hmm. a great rendition of America the Beautiful. I thought it was mm-hmm. well done by her. I agree. Um, this is really funny to hear Fink announce that. Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> I think he, uh, uh, that was perfect. It was perfect. So after that, we get the official pay per view open, which kind of resets us. We get the full pyro. We head to the ring. Uh, we only have one comment. So with Taz gone, they combine the two teams. So all night is Michael Cole, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler have the whole show. Right. Uh, we're not going to oscillate between the brands. And. We open up with a Money in the Bank match, Scott. So uh, what's the background on this? Well, very busy with these Money in the Banks because we're crossing over all the brands. Uh, We last saw Christian on WWE pay-per-view back at Taboo Tuesday, uh, 2005, as he would join TNA at Genesis and feud with Jeff Jarrett. He would win the NWA world title on two occasions as he would feud with Jarrett, Sting, and Kurt Angle. Uh, He would form Christian's coalition with his good buddy Tomko, and various other stars, as he would also make brief appearances with Ring of Honor and New Japan, as he would leave TNA in November of 08 and would return to WWE by appearing on the 210 ECW, which we mentioned at our uh, on our last show, and makes his pay-per-view return here. I think he was actually, maybe it was Kurt. Either him or Kurt were, was champion when uh, when the NWA, when TNA broke off and, and got and the 10 pounds of gold left, and that's when they made their own belt, I think. In 2007, mm-hmm. so one of them was champion. It was either it was either Christian Kurt or it was either Christian or Kurt. Um, on the 223 Raw qualifying matches began for the match as Punk defeated John Morrison and The Miz in a triple threat match to qualify. On the 3-2 Raw, Kane defeated Rey Mysterio and Mike Knox in a triple threat match to qualify. On the 3-3 ECW, uh, Henry defeated Santino Morella to qualify. On the 3-6 SmackDown, MVP defeated Matt Hardy while Benjamin defeated Jeff Hardy to qualify. On the 3-9 Raw, a lot of matches, uh, Kofi Kingston defeated Chris Jericho to qualify. On the 3-10 ECW, Christian won a tri-branded Battle Royal to qualify. On the 3-13 SmackDown, Finley defeated the Brian Kendrick uh, to earn the final spot. Mm. On the 3-16 Raw, again, tons of matches, Punk team with MVP and Kingston to defeat Benjamin Henry and Kane in a six-man on the 317 ECW, Benjamin and Henry defeated Christian and MVP uh, in a tag match. On the 320 SmackDown, uh, MVP defeated Benjamin to win the United States Championship. So MVP got his U.S. title back, now holding it as a babyface. On the 323 Raw, Punk, Christian, MVP, and Kingston defeated Kane, Henry, Benjamin, and Finley in an eight-man tag. Uh, I guess Finley turned heel again? Or was he just, I mean, he might have, maybe it's just there. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he turned heel. No, nah, I, yeah, I think it was just to level the teams out. 
uh, on the uh, 324 Although the, I think they do hint a little bit like he's getting a little frustrated with Hornswoggle and stuff. So they may have been planning a heel turn for him. Because I feel like coming up, maybe they start to do some stuff where he seems a little like aggravated with Hornswoggle. Like he's, hmm. it seems like maybe they were hinting toward it. I don't know if it goes anywhere. Yeah. But. yeah. Uh, on the 324 ECW, all eight men appeared on the VIP lounge and stated that they would win the match until Kane shot his pyro off in the corners. On the 327 SmackDown, Christian Finley, Benjamin, and Kane defeated the other four guys in an eight man tag. On the 330 Raw, uh, eight men wrestled at a battle royal. Kane won. On the 331 ECW, Henry and Kane defeated Christian and Finley in a tag. And on the 4-3 SmackDown, uh, Shelton Benjamin uh, executed his rematch clause for the U.S. title, and MVP beat him again. So, ton of matches. So, yeah, these guys definitely interacted a lot. Um, yes. You pretty much listed them all there. But but the official roster for this Money in the Bank is CM Punk versus Kane versus Mark Henry versus Finley versus Kofi Kingston versus Shelton Benjamin versus MVP versus Christian. So this is a big field for a money in the bank. Um, yeah. I remember like when seven was a big deal. Um, but I mean, this is a, this is a pretty, pretty bulky crew. Uh, so we get going strong choice to open punk gets a big pop as he comes out, looking to go back to back. Tony Atlas is out with Henry MVP is back with his U S title. Gets a nice pop. Finley and Hornswoggle dance out Benjamin Kofi, and then a big pop for Christian for his paper return and then finally Kane. So we get a good mix. It's, it's you got veterans, you got young guys, you got some bump legends like Kofi, uh, a future bump legend like Kofi with a current bump legend like Benjamin uh, for these types of matches. They kind of cross paths, which is neat. We get a hot brawling start. Kofi shows off first. He gets a leapfrog, uh, leapfrog over a ladder clothesline and uses it as a weapon. Everyone gangs up on Kane, knocks him outside, and then the same to Henry, but both big guys return and causes a ladder car wreck. Christian goes to the air, flies into a crowd outside, MVP meets him with a somersault senton. Followed by stereotopes from Kofi and Punk. Shelton scales a massive ladder in the aisle and does a swanton into the group. Just an insane spot. Henry goes up top, but Finley stops him. So Hornswoggle grabs a step ladder. He scales Henry to the top rope and flies at everyone with a tadpole splash. Finley uses the ladder to batter everyone, but Kofi cleans house. He climbs until Henry just dumps him off the ladder. Henry catches Kofi as he falls off and mashes him through a ladder with a power slam in a sixth spot. MVP battles Henry, but Shelton flies into it. MVP catches him with a nasty powerbomb. He climbs the ladder, but Punk stops him, and Kane lays him out. Punk almost has the briefcase, but Christian makes a save, and it's an unprettier off the ladder bridge. Shelton uh, powerbombs MVP out of the ring into Henry. Him and Finley scale the ladder, but Shelton slugs him down, and Christian stops him. Christian and Shelton scale again, but end up tipping, and Shelton falls to the floor. Christian keeps his balance and pushes back up. He gets close to the briefcase, but Punk springboard, wa springboard walks to him. Christian then knocks Punk backwards, and he almost has the briefcase, but Kane stops him with a choke slam. Punk then comes up and he kicks Kane down and grabs a beefcake to booze. So Punk is actually booed here uh, when he gets the briefcase to win his second straight Money in the Bank match, which I thought was a very tight battle. It was hectic. It was frantic. Everyone got the shine. They all hit their spots. There's no lingering, no dragging it out, just spot after spot after spot. They get some big shots late. Uh, Punk again goes back to back. He'll hold the case. The crowd wasn't as into this one, but I thought it was an awesome start to the show. Uh, an insane, brutal car crash. I ended up going four and a half, Scott. I thought this was a great ladder match. One of the best money in the banks that you don't hear about. Yeah, I actually love it. I gave it four and three quarters. I mean, it was almost a perfect... Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I thought the eight guys uh, did not crowd the match at all. Um, I'm trying to figure out why Punk was getting booed. I mean, he's still, I, he was still kind of over, I guess. And I'm looking at the rest of the of the match to see if there's anybody that the crowd wanted to see win instead MVP, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, at first I thought it was Jeff Hardy, but Jeff's not in this match. Christian, maybe 
Maybe people are on the Christian train at the moment because he's back. It's the only thing I'd I can say think Christian. Of. I think Christian. See, I think yeah. he got the biggest pop when they all came yeah. out. So I think. Yeah. I think people want to see I Christian think. win this match. Yeah, I think so too. I think people. I think people at that point thought Punk was already like, because usually, and you know, curious your thoughts, uh, your thoughts, Chad. Usually when you get a guy like Punk who's already, who won it once already, kind of went through the year as champion, and then he was ECW champion, he's kind of already in the mix to where you can cultivate storylines for Punk to win him the, to win him a title or a title shot without needing the briefcase. You figure the briefcase is for somebody that needs it quick or maybe needs to leapfrog to that next level, which is why I think maybe Christian, I don't know about Kofi, Kofi quite wasn't quite there yet. I think Kofi was there just to put on hot spots. So that's what I think it is. I think it's like, why are we wasting us this brief? Like the year before punk definitely was ready for the briefcase. There's no doubt about it, but I feel like now I think they, I think the fans feel like punk was already established as somebody that could get title shots without needing the briefcase. And that Christian coming back would have been a nice return. And I think the fans who are, who always thought Christian, who always thought Vince thought of Christian as kind of like here and not here. Maybe, Christian winning the briefcase kind of would have validated him as somebody that could be in the main events in both Vince's eyes and the crowd's eyes. So I think maybe that's why Punk got booed. But but overall, the match is amazing. I never felt like there were too many people in the ring and it was getting very clunky. I loved it, Chad. It was just short of perfect for me. But that's why I feel like Punk got booed. I think I think the fans thought this was a good opportunity for Christian to get back into the company, kind of settle in while Punk could just, you know, go day by day and have creative, create, you know, make something for him rather than needing the briefcase. Uh, yeah, I really like the match too. I went four and a quarter. The thing with Punk I thought was odd because you could audibly hear blues when he won. But then when they did the wide shot, there was also a large contingency that like pockets of fans too that had like the big Pepsi signs. So he had his fans too. Um, I don't know. I, I think it may have just been almost like a victim of the match because in a lot of ways, the way the match was structured, Punk and Christian were kind of like the glue guys because you had your spectacular high flyers with Shelton and mm. Kofi that were doing these crazy spots um, and hit almost all of them. Shelton, that was the only botch on the Sunset Flip Powerbomb I, I could see in the match. That was very blatant. But uh, then you had also like the big super heavies, which you weren't used to in this type of match with Henry and Kane. That that felt uh, pretty unique. And you had like a bruiser in Finley and MVP was pretty heavy handed as well. Uh, so, so I thought like Christian and Punk brought a good dynamic, but that's one thing I liked about this match. One, it didn't overstay its welcome, which was always great. Like, it was all mm -hmm. action, so that was very impressive. And two, I, I, I thought it had a nice variety where everyone played their role well, and it, it, it flowed good. I, I've Every time I rewatched these WrestleManias from 21 through 26 when they did the Money in the Banks, I'm always surprised by how much I enjoy the Money in the Banks match because it's not mm -hmm. one that I really relish nowadays per se. Right. <clears throat> I actually dread it, but when I go back and rewatch it, I'm, I'm always like, okay, this may be fun. 
and I'm always seem to be genuinely surprised. I know when I've rewatched uh, WrestleMania, I mean WrestleMania 21 has the reputation, but when I've rewatched like 22, 23, 24, and now this one, like I'm always like, all right, like it's it's at the very least yeah. like very good, and most of the time great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was great. <clears throat> yep. I mean, after the first one of the Mania ones, I think this is my second favorite right now. Um, mm. I have to look back. I agree. Grays and stuff. It's kind yeah, of I agree. Along. Yeah, it's up there. I, I, I know I like it better in 22 and 24. <clears throat> I, I actually really like 23. Me too. I've always been partial to that one. I'm curious how 26 holds up because I feel like that's the one that's not. I think that's the one that's probably the worst yeah. match from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But Well, based on who won. And just the quality, you know, the guys in it. So, <laughs> remembering who won is usually the worst part of, of a lot of those kind of multi-man matches. I, I mean, I, I actually had forgotten Christian was in this match until when he came out. Mm. So, all right, we get a recap video of the WrestleMania week activities in Houston. We then get right into our concert early in the night as Kid Rock comes out, does a medley, does Ba with the Ba, Rock and Roll Jesus, Cowboy, All Summer Long, and So Hot. I had some good energy, and I actually thought they were smart to do it early when before the crowd yes. was cooked and like and like aggravated to have to sit through it because the crowd is still pretty hyped after the ladder match. They give Kid Rock the pop, he, and he's he's quick too. It's not a very long concert. He he gets through every song pretty pretty quickly. We have a request in our chat to rank. I don't know all Kid Rock songs are just these. Um, <laughs> I'd probably go Cowboy One, Bawa Ba Two, All Summer Long Three, and the other two, whatever. Uh, he did not do only God knows why, which is one of my top kip rocks mm. um yeah i like i like oh, american badass why. is great i like american badass i have to say my number one's probably the one that uh what's the one that they used for the montage in o2 picture no the the picture <laughs> i put your picture away no the one with the one that they That's used you know the one it was uh yeah. cocky cocky well that was the favorite. album no that was the name well, that of the was the album too. That was the song. Uh, the flare one was called. No, no, Lonely Road of Faith. All right. Oh they yeah, two. up and down this Lonely Road of Faith. Yeah, Lonely oh, Road of Faith. One. I'm thinking of the WWE. Yeah, yeah, the one with, with Vince and Andre. Yeah. Yeah, the whole throwback and everything. It, Lonely yeah. Road of Faith. That's probably my. But favorite. they did do a flare one to cock the song cocky. They do a flare one as well when he comes yeah. in. He's gonna fight Vince at Mania. Um, he's yeah. got some. I know. I know he's a polarizing figure, but he's got some bangers. Get rock. Yeah. No, he's he does. Stuff. He does. But I, I agree with you on that because imagine if they did it like after the Hall of Fame, yeah. that would have been a disaster. It would have been absolutely no. Disaster. It was a good timing. Get it out. Get it out now, and it sets up the next match. He plays right into it because he plays too hot for all the intros uh, for the Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal. Um, yes. So Scott, uh, how do how do we wrap up to this? <laughs> oh God. Well, there's a lot. Going uh, on. Let's see. All right. So here is the uh, roster uh, in the match. There is. Here are the current divas. There's a lot of a lot of divas in this match. They have a good. So, they have a pretty big roster. We've been talking about it's it. At but 25, it's, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's overlooked how many how big the current diva roster was by 2009. They had really yeah. grown. Yeah. Uh. So the current roster in the match: Beth Phoenix, Melina, Mickey James, Michelle McCool, Maria, Kelly Kelly, Layla, Rosa Mendez, uh, Jillian Hall, both Bellas. Natalia, Eve Torres, Katie Lee Burchill, uh, Gail Kim, Maurice, Alicia Fox, Tiffany, and Santina Morella. Uh, Who isn't named. 
they don't no. name this person until the end. It's just like a mysterious woman. Right. It's just a mysterious woman. Yep. And the returning divas, Victoria, Tori Wilson, Sonny. I don't remember Sonny being there. Molly mm -hmm. Holly, Joy well, I Giovanni. <laughs> I definitely yeah. remember. Joy Giovanni and Jackie Gata, who I definitely don't remember coming back. Um, the guest timekeeper was Mae Young. Uh, Candace Michelle was announced as one of the participants, but was forced to withdraw due to injury, and she would present the crown and sash to the winner. Candace Michelle would never be the same after those two injuries that she suffered. She'd never be the yeah, same. That collarbone was nasty. That's one yeah, of the or elbow, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a collarbone. And then she broke it again. Uh, yeah, we last saw Gail Kim. There's a new name. Uh, mm -hmm. Gail Kim was on WWE pay-per-view back at Taboo Tuesday, 2004, as she would be released in November and she would be back. Uh, she would work for the, uh, work in the indie scene before joining TNA in 2005. She would ally with Jeff Jarrett and AMW as their valet before wrestling some more. Uh, she would be the first TNA women's champion in 2007, uh, and had a memorable feud with awesome Kong. And she would also feud with the beautiful people before leaving in August of 2008. Uh, and she would re-sign with WWE and made her TV return on the 327 SmackDown. I think it's a pretty 12... forgotten. It's a pretty forgotten comeback for her. Like everyone remembers the first run, and of course she's like a TNA legend. Um, yep. But you always forget this little mini comeback. I don't think it lasts long. I think she's back in TNA pretty quickly. They don't. They don't do anything mm. with her. Um, so, but uh, yeah, you always kind of forget about this little. I'm trying to remember. She was in previous. WWE when she met. Yeah, she was in WWE when she met and married. Uh, Robert Irvine, but I'm trying to remember if it was here or maybe when she came back after the second time in TNA. Anyway, uh, on the 122608 SmackDown, we have a new Divas champion, uh, JR. Uh, mm -hmm. Your girl, Maurice, defeated Michelle McCool on the SmackDown the, night, the day after Christmas to become Divas champion. Uh, on the 216 Raw, Melina defeated Phoenix to retain the women's title uh, when James, when Mickey James, Kelly Kelly, and Candice countered the interference of Santino and Mendez. On the 220 SmackDown, Maurice and McCool defeated Eve and Maria in a tag match. On the 223 Raw, uh, Melina teamed with Crime Time to defeat Phoenix, Marilla, and Dolph in a six-man, a six-person. On the 3-2 Raw, uh, James and Kelly defeated Phoenix and Hall while Melina and Maurice did commentary. Uh, and the six-woman brawled with Maurice giving Melina a DDT on the floor. Uh, on the 3-6 SmackDown, Maurice defeated Eve in a non-title match, and Melina attacked her after the match only for McCool, who was doing commentary, attacked Melina. On the 3-9 Raw, Vicky Guerrero announced the Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal, which would feature divas from the past and present. And later that night, Maurice defeated Melina in a Lumberjill match, which ended in a brawl. Uh, on the 3-13 SmackDown, Melina and Maria defeated Maurice and McCool in a tag. On the 3-16 Raw, uh, we had a six-person, six-woman's tag. James, Melina, and Kelly defeated Phoenix, Hall, and Layla after Marilla, Marilla's interference backfired. On the 3-23 Raw, Santino Morella demanded to be in the Battle Royal and challenged James to a match with one arm tied behind his back, which James accepted, and she would end up tying both his arms behind his back and defeating him. On the 327 SmackDown, McCool defeated Maurice by DQ when Kim made her return. That's when she came in and attacked both women as she mentioned, as she motioned she wanted the title. And on the 330 Raw, James, Maurice, uh, James, Molina, Maria, Kim, E, Fox, Bree, Tiffany, and Kelly defeated everybody else. In an 18 Diva tag match. Yeah, After so the match, Morella could. I know, I was, you know, uh, everybody else. There was an 18 man tag, nine to nine, and the one side won. Uh, <laughs> After the match, Morella cut a promo saying he went to Jack Tunney. <laughs> he went to Jack Tunney to try and get in the Battle Royal, only to realize Tunney had died. 
<laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty funny. And he said he would prove he belonged in the match as he took off his robe and was wearing a mark, a mankini only for the divas to gang up on him uh, and throw him out of the ring. And on the four, three SmackDown, Kim and Maria defeated Maurice and McCool in a tag match. There's right. the road. So all the divas dance out to too hot. Kid rocks playing him as a way to save some time. I guess you kind of, Tip rob them of their little bit of spotlight, but um, I mean, 25 entrances would have taken a while. The women start brawling before the instruction of the match even finishes. Pretty full ring. Uh, May Young is at ringside with Candice. Rosa Mendez is out first. So is Layla and some other unmentioned bodies. Um, you just completely losing track in this match. Cole says you can get a photo shoot of all 25 divas on dirty.com and says, Hey, Sonny's here. And King loses it and says, Jim Ross loves Sonny. And that popped me, Chad, because we're, we're watching mm-hmm. Jim Ross hates Sonny. <laughs> so he's shitting on her so bad. Uh, in late 96 for Ross. So that was a funny joke. Uh, Jackie Gate is also here as a special guest. Sonny's gone quietly. Not, not much of a showing at all. Announcers are, are not even trying. I mean, they're not even calling the match. They don't give a shit at all. Tori's gone. Sonny helps her walk out. Victoria throws out Maria. Gail and Jillian go together on a Rana attempt that almost went ugly. Uh, JR calls Gail one of the Bella twins. Just, just a bad miss on him by that one. Uh, mm. Beth throws out Kelly and Molly and Marie, so she's starting to take over as we whittle down. The Bellas work together. King says he's seen an ugly diva he doesn't recognize. Of course, we know that'll be in a minute. We're down to Melina, Michelle, Mickey, Beth, and a mystery entrant. <clears throat> Mickey and Michelle eliminate each other after fighting on the top rope. Beth batters Melina, but the mystery diva throws out Beth and then Melina to win the match. Justin Roberts, Candice, and May all get in the ring, and they announce the winner is Santina Morella, Santino's <laughs> twin cousin from Italy. Uh, Beth is not happy as Santina gets the crown and sash and dances, uh, which I guess is a highlight, even though it probably shouldn't be, because, uh, it's again, it's at the expense of the women's division. It could have been a big night for them. I thought this was awful. Um, I think it was a sloppy mess. The presentation and structure were terrible. There's bodies flying everywhere that the announcers don't even bother trying to call. We had returning stars that got no mention at all. A comedy finish that kills the progress we've been making in this division. Like, Santino's funny. Yes, he's probably the best comedy wrestler I've ever had. Yes, he's great. We didn't need him here. There's so much more he can do. When you know This may have been one thing 10 years ago, right, during the Attitude Era. But right now they're really working hard to like legitimize some of this stuff. And this just completely yep. derailed the progress. I mean, Beth looked great, but I thought this was terrible. Instead of making a new star or honoring a legend, um, it was crap. You know, fast forward 10 years and look at the women's rumbles and how they better honor legends and push new stars, right? It's the presentation is so night and day. It's amazing how far we've come in, in under 10 years. But um, I thought this was honestly pathetic uh, the way they treated them. So I want a half a star um, just for some of the legends and the, how Beth looked. But I, I, I would have liked to see, I think given all the build we've had, I think a tag with the four top women in a Lumberjack match would have been better. If you want to have Legends be part of the Lumberjack match, that would have been fine. Like I would have done Beth and Maurice against Mickey and Molina. And that's been your four top for a while now. <clears throat> Let yep. them go at it in a four-way, in a, in a either a four-way or a tag, and then have the other divas around the ring for a big brawl at the end or something if you want to feature them all on the show to make it special. So I don't know, Chad, what'd you think? I, I was disappointed. I mean, I didn't expect much, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I even tried to put on my, like, 2009 brain for this, but it still felt like a waste. I, it still felt disrespectful even watching mm-hmm. it then. Um, I, I just think, like, even if you wanted to do the Santina bit, you could have had that and had it be a spot in the match itself. Like, have them 
pull the wig off or, you know, have somebody pull the wig off like Beth or somebody and shove him out or, you know, yeah. press slam him over. Like he could have taken a bump and got out of there. And then you could add the comedy spot and whatever mm-hmm. and just went on with it. Um, Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, it was quick, but it was so kind of hastily put together that you did have a lot of, eliminations and stuff going on and the camera was so wide there were so many people it was tough like when they said tory wilson got eliminated like it was difficult to see is that tory wilson is that maurice right. is that yeah. tiffany is that kelly kelly you know it was like all you could see was a blonde on the floor you know it was just it was mayhem uh so it was disappointing Half they could have had if you wanted to do santina going forward like you could have had beth win she's the most dominant she wins and then on raw the next night have her give him the crap be like i don't even care about this i'm focused on the gold i don't care about crowns right like like something like that and then he or she throws it away and he takes it out of the trash and starts wearing it like you know you could have done that and then kind of at least gave them more of a moment on the night yeah yeah i i try to avoid uh giving matches giving wrestlemania matches duds i try to find something redeeming and and i'm you know i'm glad you guys found a half a star of redeeming i didn't i gave it a dud anyway it was just it was offensive uh it's a poorly booked mess um you know we've talked again like like you said jr we've gone through every an evolution of really good workers not just solid in ring out of the gate like a beth phoenix but someone like a candace and someone like, you know, Maria or even Maurice, who is more than just, a, you know, a good looks and, and you know, looking good in a bikini. They're booking their tails off to, to put on good matches as best they can. And, I mean, I would have even, hell, I would have given them, why not give them a, 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 a money in the bank for the women? Maybe do a test. Right. I don't know. Anything but this. This is this is ridiculous. I, I love Santino. But you just, it's like, all right, so the guy beat all the girls. Who cares if he's wearing a wig? We're not that stupid. stupid. Yeah, it was stupid. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, was ins- it was insulting. It was insulting. And you bring all these legends back for what? So they can all get chucked? It's not like now, like yeah. like when we were, when we were, at, when JR, when you and I were at the, the, the 2018 Rumble uh, in Philly and they had the, mm-hmm. you know, and the women were the, so different when, when the women, you know, when the legends oh, came yeah. out. It was so different. This is just, hey, here's a bunch of old blondes we had in the Attitude Era. Well, and it, it sucks extra, too, because, like, we're make, we've are we been making some progress. Like, the women's division has been fine. Like, we've actually enjoyed some of the action. They're presenting them in a different way. So that's why this felt like such a big step back, was because we had right. just been making some progress, finally. So Exactly. Yeah. And they just they just threw them all in one ring and threw them all out. It's, it's yeah. I'm sorry. I couldn't find any redeeming. I gave it a dud. I hate giving WrestleMania matches duds, but I had no choice. It's, it was disgraceful. Mm-hmm. All right, we get a hype video package for our next match, which is Chris Jericho taking on Ricky Steamboat, Jimmy Snuka, and Roddy Piper, who's not in Diesel's corner tonight. He's in the match here. Um, <laughs> this is an uh, interesting match, Scott. Uh, so how did we get to this one? I I agree, and uh, he, he he and Piper didn't ref the uh, lumber the uh, battle royal either. All right, on the two sixteen Raw, uh, Chris Jericho cut a promo as he said he had appealed to the Oscar voters not to vote for Mickey Rourke because it gave the impression wrestlers can continue to compete past their prime. Uh, But then Piper would interrupt him and called him out for his comments as he brought up being in the Royal Rumble the year before. Uh, He would praise the wrestler, the movie with Mickey Rourke, and said Jericho was trying to destroy his memories, though he would offer a handshake, but Jericho knocked him down and stomped on him as he told Piper to crawl for him to earn his respect. 
The following week on the 223 Raw, Michael Cole did an interview with Steamboat, Ricky Steamboat, regarding the announcement that he would be inducted, of course, into the WWE Hall of Fame that year. But Jericho would interrupt and brought up Rourke losing at the Academy Awards the night before. He said that Rourke was like Flair Piper and Steamboat, who he called a hypocrite. And Steamboat brought up Jericho meeting him as a teenager and that he embraced the fans every time he turned, every time he turned on them, only for Jericho to attack him and ram him into the post. On the 3-2 Raw, uh, Jericho recreated the Piper's Pit set and showed the footage of Piper hitting Snooka with the coconut back in 1984. And Piper's matches and brought up Snooka still wrestling even in his mid-60s. Uh, he would bring out a bag of fruit and pulled out a coconut until Snooka took it from him and chased him off. And he posed for the crowd until Jericho knocked in the set, knocked the set on top of him and whipped him with his belt before stuffing a banana in his mouth. On the 3-9 Raw, uh, Jericho lost the Money in the Bank qualifying match to Kofi Kingston when Flair appeared on the stage and distracted him. And later that night, Jericho challenged Flair to a match the next week and vowed to finish him for good. On the uh, 316 Raw, uh, Jericho called Flair out, and Flair came out as he said he wouldn't tarnish his retirement last year by wrestling, but he would bring out Piper, Snooka, and Steamboat, who chased Jericho out of the ring, and Flair got a shot in. Jericho would then challenge all three men to a handicap match and demanded that Flair be there as well, and he said he would buy Rourke a front-row seat to watch him end the Legends. On the 323 Raw, Flair accepted Jericho's challenge as Jericho showed clips of the three men in their prime, and he continued to run them down as he came to the ring and no, said no one cared about Flair anymore. He said Flair and Rourke would watch helplessly as he finished the legend's career, and Flair said he would be proud to see his friend defeat Jericho, but Jericho would attack Flair and bust him open. What a shock, busting Flair open, as he took Flair's watch that was given to him the year before uh, and used a hammer to destroy it. Of course, the watch that he got uh, for Sean, going to the Hall of Fame. From Sean, yep, after retiring. On the 330 Raw, uh, Jericho defeated Jerry Lawler in a match and Lawler would clear Jericho from the ring and Jericho said that he would win at WrestleMania like he won tonight as he said that what happens at WrestleMania is Mickey Rourke's fault. Yeah, the Rourke stuff was interesting. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of back and forth, right? I think originally the plan, they wanted him to wrestle. Uh, then his team kind of pulled him out of it, right? Because they didn't want it to screw up his Oscar bid. Um, right. So they kind of went this other route and then Rourke kind of said screw it i don't care like this movie rejuvenated me like i'm back in um so i'm gonna do it i don't give a shit um so he ended up doing this it's kind of a compromise he doesn't wrestle but you know he'll be here we'll talk about in a minute what he does but it was a big deal i mean that was a big movie at the time like that obviously was a, a academy awards darling and did really well at the box office and all that so like this is a pretty big get for them to have work coming off of that into wrestlemania so um, as usual with Jericho, it's a pretty well-built feud, playing at the popularity of the wrestler, using legends in a good way. It's a good spot with Jericho after a year on top. Still gets good focus, even though he's out of the world title picture after his dominant 08. It gets flair into the card as well. Steamboat's first match since 1994. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Like No one ever thought he'd wrestle again, uh, and here he is. We got Mickey at ringside. Uh, good entrances for everyone. Nice big pop for Piper and Flair. Ross says it's the first ever Hall of Fame team uh, at WrestleMania. So. All the legends stop. They meet Mickey when they get settled in. Piper wants to start. He demands the other guys get out. He tackles Jericho and hammers away. Piper charges the clothesline that takes both men over the top. They brawl out there. Piper's bringing it. He gets a couple of near falls and actually busts out a drop kick. He's slapping Jericho around. He, uh, Piper runs Jericho and a snook his head. Snooker comes in with very slow motion strikes. Steamboat gets the tag. He goes right to the top rope. He hits his chop to a pop. He's moving awesome. Gets his vintage arm drags. 
Uh, Snook is back in. Jericho takes him right down to the walls, and Superfly taps. He's out. Jericho knocks Steamboat to the floor. He takes on Piper, who's bringing the fight to Jericho. Goes right to the eyes. He hooks a sleeper, but Jericho breaks and finishes him off with an enziguri. We then down to Jericho versus Steamboat. Steamboat gets a great near fall on a top row body press. Jericho mows him down the clothesline. Hooks a sleeper, but Steamboat fights out. He skins the cat, dumps Jericho to the floor. He hits a plancha like a madman. Back inside, Steamboat hits another top rope chop, gets a super close two on a roll-up. Jericho battles back, but Steamboat dodges a lion's hole, gets two on a power slam. Jericho puts the walls on, but Steamboat breaks it for a close near fall on an inside cradle. The crowd is rocking now. Jericho pops up, hits the code breaker, and wins the match. Flair gets in the ring. He throws down with Jericho. He's chopping away until Jericho takes him over the backdrop and hits him with the code breaker. Jericho grabs the mic. He talks a bunch of shit. Bates and Rourke, who eventually obliges. He slowly gets into the ring to a pop. Jericho stalks Rourke, who teases him with a flurry and then drops him with a quick left hook. Mickey and Flair stand tall after the match. I thought it was really fun. I thought Jericho worked his ass off. The Legends got some shine. It was a true professional performance on a big night. The Legends all brought it. They worked hard and aggressive. I thought Steamboat looked awesome, flying around like it was 94. Um, the closing segment was the best part of the match. I know people were upset at the time. They thought Steamboat should have won. But I think this is a perfect use of all these guys. Like Jericho deserved to win after his 08. There's no reason for him to lose to, to Steamboat. And Steamboat just showing what he showed was like a win. <laughs> like We didn't need more than that. He, he looked amazing. Um, it was it was kept to the point. They didn't drag it out for a three-on-one elimination. It moved quick. Um, and then having Mickey get in there at the end was good. You had to do that. Keeping Flair involved, too. Like, Look, in retrospect, he ends up wrestling again someday, so maybe they could have had him in this match. But I think they really wanted to keep to the stipulation. So this at least gets him in the action. Uh, so Scott went three and a quarter. I mean, I think this match completely over-delivered when you look at it on paper. Uh, and it was mainly thanks to Steamboat and just Jericho working his ass off. Piper was, Piper's energy was awesome. Snooker was a relic at this point. Like, you probably could have found something a little bit better. But um, <laughs> as is, it was it was good. Uh, I agree. I, I uh, also gave it three and a quarter. Your match time was uh, eight and a half minutes. Incidentally, for anybody who's interested, kind of doing my own pop-up fact here, uh, Mickey Rourke was nominated for Best Actor uh, for The Wrestler. He lost to Sean Penn uh, for Milk, Milk. Uh, which is also That's very good bullshit. movie. Um, <laughs> incidentally, Marissa Tomei was nominated for Best Supporting Actress uh, for The Wrestler, and she lost to Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which I've never even heard of. That sucks. Uh, she should have won. Um, so just wanted to mention that. Uh, I thought the match was a lot of fun. Uh, in terms of, first off, I think everybody knew that when you look, you look at the three of them and there's a, there's a progression. You look at the three legends, you got Piper who clearly should not be wrestling, uh, <laughs> should not be wrestling. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, he won the tag belts the year before, two years before, whatever it was. Um, but it, he should not be wrestling. Snuka is in shape for a guy his age, but he shouldn't be wrestling. I think it's pretty safe by that. But the minute, and, and and I bet you, I guarantee you, the minute backstage they're all watching, the minute Steamboat started started snapping off those drags, you're like, oh, hmm, this is interesting. Didn't expect this. And Jericho obviously having the time of his life. Uh, mm -hmm. I have I have no qualms. I mean, Jericho should have won the match regardless. But even better, I think it was very important for him to pin Steamboat because that was the validated pin. Steamboat yeah. was the was the stud of that. Who cares if he pins Piper or Snooker? They're both old and washed up. Legends, well, one of them, but old and washed up. 
pinning Steamboat was the qualifier because he he was going move for move with with uh, Jericho. Simple right. as that. The Mickey Rourke stuff at the end didn't really come off as good as it could have, but that's all right. Um, just just get the photo off with him and Flair at the end was what they needed. I mean, yeah, like exactly. Enough. Pretty much. I mean, they were trying. I think they were trying to replicate Sean and Tyson from fourteen, where you can where they where he tried to snap off the 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 short shot quick and it just the punch was off camera a little bit. It didn't. It, it just didn't look right. But that's fine. Again, it was about the Flair Rourke snapshot at the on the ramp but i thought it was a fun match chad uh i i have no qualms with steamboat jobbing because i think of those three guys for jericho that's the guy you pin you don't pin the other two guys because that would have been too easy steamboat getting pinned was no problem at all i went three and a half i think this match is a lot of fun i, I think it's booked again very well where you do get the progression piper does about all he can do, including the drop kick. He even does stuff he shouldn't yeah. do, including the drop kick. Uh, Snuka's fine. He's whatever. But I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really well done that they get a little bit of a face reaction, then get out of the way, and then you get the steamboat with Jericho segment, which both of you guys talked about. It was it was just beautifully done. Um, I mean, steamboat. You know, he like you could tell he was still in good shape. Just when he'd done like guest referee spots on the indies, yep. like when he referees the punk uh, versus AJ Styles match and he referees a Loki versus Brian Danielson match in 2001. Um, but this was a really cool moment for him, like on that big stage. And I mean, they just worked. It was a great. Great sequence. Maybe Steamboat's best WrestleMania match. Well, not WrestleMania three. <laughs> I know that's a troll, but yeah, what if? All right, what did Sean Kidd slip you that line? <laughs> I think you realized. I mean, it's halfway through your it's there, it's, but... it, it's a second, so that's something. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Jericho's, uh, Jericho's definitely an upgrade of Hercules from WrestleMania two. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's just really well done. I think Steamboat gets enough offense in, and then Jericho wins. The stuff with Rort. One thing I thought was weird was there's a big screen TV right in front of where Mickey Rourke is sitting. He's in the front row. I, I don't know who needed right. the TV to get yeah. the cue there. I, I didn't understand that. Um, I mean, Rourke's a little, you know, out there as well. So they kind of had to lead him along. But the punch looked fine. Right. It was good to get a photo op. So yeah. overall, it was a cool segment. Again, didn't overstay its welcome. That's, that's one thing that's very integral with this stage of this show is – you would see in subsequent manias matches in the middle of the card that were just like deaf to the show because of how long they would overstay their welcome right? and everything in this show. It moves along quick enough. So it does a good job there with pacing. Yeah. Eight and a half minutes. Nothing harmful. Yeah. All right. We reset with uh, Ross King and Cole, and then we get a video package for our next match, which is Jeff Hardy taking on Matt Hardy in an Extreme Rules match. Uh, we know what and kicked this off, right, that Matt turned on Jeff at the Royal Rumble. Uh, but, Scott, what was revealed in the weeks after that? Well, uh, on the 130 uh, SmackDown, Matt came out with the chair he hit Jeff with at the Rumble, 
and said he was tired of sharing the spotlight with Jeff. You knew that was coming. That was an easy one. And he said that no one could prove he was behind Jeff's recent strings of accidents, though what he did at the Rumble wasn't an accident. He said he tried to cover for his brother's mistakes and always tried to be a role model, but the fans always sided with Jeff, who he called irresponsible, and said he could no longer consider Jeff his partner or his brother. On the 220 SmackDown, Jeff confronted Edge and reminded him that he beat him in the WWE title chamber match in less than three minutes. And GM Vicky Guerrero announced that Jeff would face Edge in a non-title match. In the main event, Jeff defeated Edge by DQ and Matt attacked Jeff and gave him the twist of fate as he said that they would face off the next week. On the 227 SmackDown, Jeff came out in street clothes and said he would not fight Matt as Matt said they weren't brothers. And he said the fans made him sick when they cheer for Jeff and he will always be the better wrestler. He tried to go Jeff into fighting him and slapped him in the face twice, but Jeff refused and headed to the back. On the 3-6 SmackDown, Matt cut a promo on Jeff not wanting to fight him, uh, though he said though said after they won their Money in the Bank qualifying matches, he would get his hands on Jeff, but he would end up losing his match to MVP. Vicky would then appeal to Jeff to face Matt at WrestleMania instead of competing in the Money in the Bank, though Jeff again refused, and Matt would cost Jeff his qualifying match. On the 313 SmackDown, Matt cut a promo bringing up how Jeff missed WrestleMania last year due to being suspended, unlike him who missed the show due to an injury, and he would take credit for all of Jeff's accidents as he produced what was left of Jeff's dog's collar, which he wanted to give to Jeff as a token of his love. Jeff came out and attacked Matt as he called him sick and twisted, while Matt begged for forgiveness only to walk away with a smile on his face. On the 320 SmackDown, it was announced that the Hardys would face off at WrestleMania in an Extreme Rules match. Uh, and Jeff would defeat the, the Brian Kendrick in an Extreme Rules match and assaulted Ezekiel Jackson with a chair after the match. On the 323 Raw, Jeff defeated Dolph Ziggler in an Extreme Rules match and cut a promo after the match saying what he just did wasn't extreme, but what he would do to Matt at WrestleMania would be extreme. And on the 327 SmackDown, Matt cut a promo holding a dog as he again brought up Jeff's deceased dog, Jack and said he would take Matt to the extreme. And later that night, Jeff read a poem to Matt and said they were no longer brothers. No longer the brothers Beverly, like another famous poem in wrestling That's history. Right. That's right. All right, here we go. Jeff and Matt finally get their big match on the main stage. Can they deliver a classic? We saw them have their brief feud in 2001, kind of went nowhere. And now here we go again. A very good long-term story they wove along the way. We'll see if we're going to end Matt's run as a great TV face worker was worth this turn because uh, he really carried a lot of the TV over the year before this. Risky to run a second garbage Extreme Rules match too. Money in the Bank and then this like two matches later was a little bit of a risk, so we'll see. Matt's got a new robe. He stalks out angrily. Big pop for Jeff. Jeff slaps Matt to start. We're off and running with a hot flurry of strikes to the floor. Jeff grabs a big portrait, smashes him with it. Jeff is all over him outside, heads inside with a chair, but misses a springboard dive. Jeff tries to whisper in the wind, but Matt slings a chair at him to swat his legs down. Matt grinds away, wrecks him with a shot back to the head, which looks like it hurt. Hardy hits a twist of fate on a chair, keeps the pressure on. He sets up a table at ringside, but he keeps it together for now. Jeff heats back up on the floor, uses a kendo stick, a crutch, a trash can. Plants Matt with a front suplex, but he misses a swanton. Matt comes back with a twist of fate for two. Jeff comes back with a superplex and a big chair shot that puts him between a two uh, double table stack on the floor and flies off the top rope with a superfly splash for a big pop. Back in the ring, Matt still out of it as Jeff sets up two huge ladders, and he comes up empty on a super leg drop that is looking at hurt. Matt puts Jeff inside an open chair, hits a disgusting twist of fate, and wins the match. I, I, that was like a fuck finish for me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, that was a... That was a 
nasty finisher that you don't really ever see. Like I can't think of seeing that one again. Yeah. I thought this was great. I thought it was a violent, angry war. I thought it stood out for Money in the Bank because it wasn't a spot fest. It was hard hitting. It was angry. Um, it was aggressive. It was a bit long, but the pace fed into the slow destruction as both men just trying to end each other. The finish was sick. Um, and Matt winning surprised me. I thought Jeff would win this for sure at the time. Uh, but it shows that we're going to get the rematch. Um, they delivered a great match. It's a big win for Matt. They did it with a story and psychology. It wasn't just a spot fest. They more than delivered for their um, you know, mess from 2001. Uh, I went four stars, Chad. I, I like this match way more than I expected to. Um, and I think it's kind of a forgotten classic in WrestleMania. He's buried on such a great show. It's, you know. I, I feel like it's a little underrated, too. I went three and a half. I mean, I liked it a lot. I, I guess my qualms on why I'm probably a little bit lower than you is I do think it highlights one of the issues I have with just WWE garbage matches in general. And I think they avoided it by being aggressive. Like their tone, the tonal uh, purpose of the match was good. Like they had hate throughout the match. Some of the stuff was just hokey. It drives me crazy. Like, there's a crutch under the ring. There's that poster. It's it's just, it's like, why is this shit under the ring? You know, it did. Jeff hit you it. Have to, he hit it before the match. It, yeah, it kind of it kind of becomes prop, but I but I like that they didn't play into it. It was just props. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I, I kind of don't know why this match doesn't get taught. I I don't know if people are just in general disappointed about it. Or what I was interested in that I, I thought it kept a good pace. Like I said, I think the most important thing is it was hate filled, even mm-hmm. with the spectacular spots towards the end. They were pretty hate filled. Like the yeah. the the dive through the table, I thought was really well executed. Where Matt's on the second table, so Jeff goes through one of the tables just mm-hmm. to get to him. Uh, and then the finish with the twist of fate on the chair looked really good, and that could have looked really contrived. Uh, so that was a really impressive finish. And, yeah, I mean, overall, it was a very good match. It was three-and-a-half-star match. Uh, I, I agree with, uh, with JR. I gave it I gave it a four. It was 13.33, so I don't think it overstated its welcome at all. I thought it was a good length. Um, I wasn't surprised uh, Matt won. Uh, I feel like... Uh, I feel like they were going to keep this going. I mean, this was not going to be a, a, a one-match pony. That would have been a complete waste uh, to have them only wrestle one match on the card. So I uh, I definitely did not feel surprised that, that Matt won the match. That twist of fate on the chair was fucked up. I don't know if I would have even tried that move. <laughs> that was yeah, gross. I mean, I yeah. can't believe they've never used that sense. Like, that was like a... I did not remember that spot at all, and I popped big time. I was like, "Oh shit, yeah. <laughs> that was fucking nasty." No, I thought I thought it was a great. I thought it was a great spot. I was just a little, a little leery because I mean, you do that wrong, and you know, Jeff's fucked. So that's, yeah. um, uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was. Eventually, we were going to get this. We were going to get this feud at some point in their careers, and I thought this was a good time for it. Yeah, Jeff definitely is going to get back into the the into a world title picture at some point. We don't know when. But this was a good kind of holdover for him. And I think Matt needed to be vindicated. I think this was a good opportunity to let Matt kind of rebuild himself as a as a, fa- as a heel. And, and 
a good, good physical match against someone he's very comfortable with, against somebody that he could throw around a little bit and will take his bumps. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, but that, that twist of fate's kind of fucked up. I, I don't know if I would ever try that again because that's like a one-trick pony. You try that a second time. And so It was the right two guys to do it. It was two so, guys ahead of Aaron Trust, his brother. It was, like match was a lot of fun, yeah. and I, I had no problem not winning because this, this definitely had some legs. Yeah, and I think it was a finish again that exactly. like has the inherent trust of the two brothers that Jeff's a guy not afraid to take the bump. Matt's not a guy, you know, he can be trusted to give it safely, but as safely as can be. So like it was probably the perfect two guys to try something like that. All right. Uh we go backstage where Randy Orton is prepping and sitting in silence with Cody right. Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. And then that brings us to our next match, which is for the Intercontinental title. I agree. And that features John Bradshaw Layfield taking on Ray Mysterio. Scott, how did we get to this one? Well, uh, this is the first time, and this is the first time that the Continental title has been defended at WrestleMania since RVD and William Regal at 18 in 2007. See, Bell was the big stage, uh, right? RVD and Regal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, aside brief in the 2014 Royal Rumble, uh, this is JBL's last, last WWE pay per view as he would leave for years. Uh, return in 2012 to commentary, other roles, other on camera things, uh, which he still does to this day. But this is like the official last match for JBL on an actual mm-hmm. card. Um, on the 3-9 Raw, JBL defeated CM Punk to win the Intercontinental title. On the 3-16 Raw, Mysterio challenged JBL to a title match here at Mania. On the 3-20 SmackDown, it was announced that JBL had accepted the challenge. On the 3-23 Raw, Mysterio defeated William Regal while JBL did commentary, and JBL vowed to make history at WrestleMania. And after the match, JBL got on the apron only for Mysterio to knock him to the floor. Uh... On the 327 SmackDown, JBL attacked Mysterio after his match with Chavo Guerrero. And on the 330 Raw, Mysterio defeated JBL in a non-title match. And here All we right, are. so JBL's been rocking. You know, he had a solid year-long return. He's captured the IC title. He had the thing with Shawn Michaels. Uh, was in a lot of world title matches. Had the Cena feud. So he's been pretty busy since... Uh, but you won? You know, 16... Yeah, won the Cena yeah, feud. Right. Yeah, so so the 16 so. months or so since he's returned, he's he's been pretty busy. He's another prime mania slot. Uh, he rants about returning to Texas as a hero and a champion. He has a great life all the way down the aisle. He's ranting on the on the way down. Ray Mysterio's out next. He's uh, rocking the Joker gear, which looked great. Um, so that looks really cool. First time, like you said, Scott, an IC title was defended since 2002, so seven years, which is nuts. JBL kicks Ray down before the bell. He hammers on him until the ref pulls him off. Ray regroups. Uh, we get the bell. JBL misses a clothesline from hell. Ray gets an enziguri, a 619, and a top row splash to win the title. So a big pop in 11 seconds. I thought this was perfect. We didn't need anything more than this. We've already had a bunch of longer matches. We still got some big stuff to come. What is a six-minute match? with JBL and Ray going to accomplish. Like, this is the perfect way to do it. JBL goes out the right way on his back. It's a great use of a squash. Um, and they've actually used this, like, with JBL a couple times. Like, Batista did it. Remember, Batista killed him. was like, no mercy or whatever. So they've used it a couple of times with him having these quick matches. And it's a good way to wrap his career. Um, you know, perfect execution instead of some slow plotting match with him. Uh, Ray's IC champion could be good, too. And JBL, first time really gone from the company since 1996. So 
You know, he's, he's had a pretty long, consistent run. I went two stars for the squash. Um, and it's crazy. He's never had another match like since. Like, I think it was, um, he's one of those guys you think would come back here and there for some kind of match, but he's, he never got back in the ring again. So good on him to hold to it. And it's after the match that he gets on the mic and says, I quit. Um, like right. I said, so I don't think, um, I don't know how serious people took it at the time because he was such had such bravado throughout this whole run where he would like run his mouth and all this different stuff. But I just think it's really funny that before the match, he's talking about how great his life is. <laughs> Nine seconds later, he retires. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a pretty good ending for him. Uh, bombastic, Chad. What did you think of this? I mean, I gave it a star. I, th- I think it's well done. I, I think it's one of the more interesting retirement matches in history where it's kind of perfect and JBL runs down the crowd, uh, gets a lot of heel heat and then shows ass and loses immediately. And then he is done. So kudos to him. Like that's kind of, you talk about like doing the honors on your way out. Like he really does that. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's only done what he's in, I think the 2014 Royal rumble. So that's, that's it. So that's, it's crazy. Like he's, he's, Gone. I, I don't recall there being any rumors or was there anything swirling like him? I don't being, think so. No, yeah, I've never been pretty surprised. Yeah. So, so that it's a neat surprise. Uh, Ray's gear is really cool with the Joker gear. And overall, I mean, this is really well executed. And again, kudos to JBL because I, I can't think of anything after this where there's been like a retirement match, quote unquote, where somebody's just completely been a bill of, you know, yeah. demolished and then yeah. just went away. So, yeah, it was good. It was well done. And, and right. It kind of like there's that nice little time because JBL so married to Eddie. Right. And like Ray was kind yeah. of involved in that. So like, it's a yeah. nice little him putting Ray over. It was like a good, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually gave it two stars. Uh, uh as well um according to wiki uh what did you say jr 11 seconds this is 20 i mean not that it matters but this says they say 11 i mean whatever. this is 22 but it doesn't matter it's i think they match. say they they say 11 on commentary i think but. okay um 22 seconds well they couldn't do nine seconds because that's the bunch <laughs> record but uh SD this makes this yeah. makes sd jones made perfect sense uh ray uh, jbl's kind of cooked i mean we said it in 2000. I mean, he, he had a good run in 09. He had a good run in 08. But we've, we both said that he just doesn't fit here anymore. We have younger faces, younger heels. There's no need for him to be putting his body through any of this anymore. So good for him to leave. Good thing to go out on his terms. Um, and Ray Ray was a perfect guy to just, hand, you know, get the get the IC belt and and defend it with, with good matches on TV. So not much more to say here. Just a, a, an exemplary effort in terms of getting this through. We have plenty. Of, we got a lot left to do, including our next match. A lot left to do. So this didn't need to be, you know, twelve minutes of JBL throwing him around and Ray getting a six one nine out of nowhere, or whatever, for the win. This is perfect. This needed to be done, considering what's coming up, you know, next and for the rest of the show. Yep, we got some big ones so. coming. So, all right, we yes. reset a little bit. We see Carl Edwards in the crowd, and we get a hype video for our next match, which kind of out of nowhere, we have Shawn Michaels taking on. The Undertaker. The first time these guys have crossed paths, really, since 1998. So, Scott, uh, how do we suddenly go from JBL and Shawn Michaels <laughs> having a working partnership um, to Shawn Michaels challenging to break well, the streak? Went from broke to Jesus in one month. I know, right? Crazy. 
I'm sure that white jacket was not cheap. On the 216 Raw, uh, JBL uh, cut a promo uh, saying that he had a goal to be world champion, but now he had a bigger goal, which was to end Taker's streak, only for Michaels to interrupt him. He would brag about his win the night before and said he should be the one to face Taker. And the two men agreed to a match the next week with the winner facing Taker here at WrestleMania. On the 220 SmackDown, GM Vicky Guerrero declared that she should pick the superstar to face Taker, and she brought out Vladimir Kozlov, who will face Taker the next week, uh, with the winner facing Taker at uh, WrestleMania. So at 223 uh, Raw, Vicky announced the winner of Michaels JBL would face Kozlov next week to earn the right to face Taker at Mania, and Michaels would defeat JBL only for Kozlov to attack him after the match. On the 227 SmackDown, Kozlov defeated Taker clean. Interesting. Mm. Uh, on the 3-2 Raw, uh, Michaels defeated Kozlov to earn the match with Taker at Mania, and after the match, Taker came out and stared Michaels down. Uh, on the 3-6 SmackDown, Taker cut a promo discussing the match with Michaels as he showed a highlight reel of Michaels' WrestleMania success, and he closed by reminding Michaels that sometimes it's hell trying to get to heaven. On the 3-9 Raw, Michaels cut a promo on Taker while showing highlights of the streak, and Taker would come out and said that Michaels' arrogance would get the better of him, Michaels reminded him of his big matches at WrestleMania, and Taker said he didn't have to outperform Michaels, though he would beat him. Uh, and Michaels said he would rest comfortably when he did the impossible and ended the streak. On the 316 Raw, Taker and Michaels defeated JBL and Kozlov in a tag team match after Michaels tagged himself in, and Taker stalked Michaels up the ramp through, though Michaels came back out and gave Taker sweet chin music. On the 320 SmackDown, Taker cut a promo saying he was the hunter while Michaels was the prey. And uh, and he would defeat JBL in a non-title match. On the 323 Raw, Taker cut a promo saying that he has not beaten Michaels in a one-on-one match, though he was the reason Michaels retired the first time. And he was, in, of course, talked about the match in Rumble 98. He was interrupted by footage of Michaels in a graveyard as he brought up Taker's previous opponents. He would come up to an open grave and said he would he would for, be for Taker's streak, this grave, as he vowed the streak would rest in peace. On the 327 SmackDown, numerous druids dressed in white came out uh, as Michaels appeared in the ring dressed like Taker, except in all white. And he quoted Genesis chapter one as he said he was the light to Taker's darkness. Um, he said that while he and Taker had many similarities, he'd be victorious at WrestleMania and danced until Taker come up, came up from the ring and grabbed Michaels by the throat, though Michaels escaped a chokeslam attempt and slid out of the ring. On the 330 Raw, uh, a hearse was shown backstage and Michaels would come out of it and Michaels would have a funeral set in the ring complete with a casket. As he said, Taker has never been beat, has never beaten him. And that wouldn't change at WrestleMania. He said that it was an insult that Taker didn't think he could end the streak. <coughs> Excuse me. And his performance and victory would outshine everything on the show. The lights would go out. And when they came on, Taker was in the ring though. Michaels had disappeared and Taker destroyed the funeral set. And Michaels would come out from under the ring and hit sweet chin music. Finally, this match was voted match of the year by the news, uh, the Observer Newsletter and PW Insider. But more on that in a moment. Long journey. Here we go. Match jump started out of nowhere. Um, <clears throat> we had a quick abortion of the Michaels JBL story, No Way Out. And neither legend had much going on. So let's see if they can recapture the magic from 12 years ago. All time Shawn Michaels entrance. He's wearing the all white um, suit with the hat. Comes down from the sky in a pulpit with kind of the angelic music playing and then into sexy boy takers entrance is classic as always you get some amazing filmography for both of these 
Uh, Sean sticks yes. and moves, tries to bait Taker into getting started. Taker eventually blocks him and throws him uh, hard to the corner. Sean throws a crotch chop and fakes a knee injury, which is a great callback to last year with the whole Batista thing. Uh, Michaels flies around early, shaking off any Taker attack, but eventually Taker slugs him down. The crowd is smoking hot as they're trading strikes. Taker flings Sean around more power throws. Sean dodges a big boot, finds his in, and starts to attack the knee. Following with a chop block and Enzigiri. King reminds us that Undertaker has never beaten Shawn Michaels as JR brings up their Hell in a Cell and Casket matches. Shawn hooks a figure four. Taker punches free, comes rumbling back with a snake eyes and a big boot and a leg drop for two. Shawn slips out of a choke slam, grabs a cross face. JR says Undertaker has never tapped. Taker tries to roll out of it, but Shawn keeps grinding, so Taker just powers up, deadlifts Shawn into a side slam. Michaels pops up, gets two atomic drops. Hits a flying clothesline, goes up top, but Taker sits up and catches him at a choke slam. Attempt, Michael slips free and teases Sweet Chin Music, so Taker hits the deck. Sean follows him, goes to the figure four, but Taker counters into a Hell's Gate. Sean quickly gets to the ropes. Taker comes up empty on a guillotine leg drop as Sean baits him in. He slams him hard on the edge of the ring. Sean meets him with a baseball slide. He goes up top and tries a moonsault, but Taker sidesteps, swats him, and slams him to the floor. Taker sits up in the ring as Sean is hurting on the floor. Uses the ref to pull himself up. As he's doing that, Taker revs up and does, I mean, look, you've probably seen this uh, gif and meme everywhere, but Taker does an insane tope where he wipes out a cameraman as Michael shoves the ref out of the way and pulls the cameraman his path. Taker almost dies. He does a full rotation, lands on his head, just an insane spot. Michaels gets in the ring. We get a very dramatic count that Taker beats, despite Michaels pleading for him to stay down. Sean loads up Sweet Chin Music, but Taker sidesteps. It's a monster choke slam for two. Taker blocks Sweet Chin Music, but Sean swats his hand away, hits it, uh, but is slow to cover and only gets two. Sean kips up, but Taker blocks him, loads up the last ride. Sean floats over for a sunset flip. Taker deadlifts him this time, and this time he hits him with the last ride for another close two. The crowd is just losing their shit now. Taker whiffs on a top rope elbow. He slings Sean over the top rope. Sean skins the cat, tries to run up, but Taker holds on, drags him across the ropes, and just murders him with a tombstone for one of the closest, most insane near falls of all time. We get the classic shot of Taker's shocked face. Taker gets to his feet, slashes his throat, drags Sean up for a tombstone, but Sean counters into a desperation swinging DDT. He drags himself to the top rope, hits the big elbow, tunes up the band. Sean hits sweet chin music and covers for another great near fall. Both men are slowly to their feet. The crowd is losing their mind. The grappling as they fight to their feet. Sean hits a huge chop. Taker punches back. They trade some more. They stagger until Taker hits a big boot and then scoops him for the tombstone. But Sean again breaks free, gets more chops, kicks him in the face. Sean goes to the top and tries a moonsault. But amazingly enough, after all this action, Taker catches him midair and just murders him with a tombstone to win the match. Amazing match. I think it exceeded anyone's expectation that anyone could have had. Two legends throwing a perfect game late in the career. The crowd was hooked the entire way. The pacing and flow was perfect. Both guys just kept going with so many classic near falls, all-timers. The announcers were locked in. The crowd was locked in. The finish was great. Michaels comes up just short, but delivers another Mania Classic. Taker keeps the streak intact. And there's a reason this is considered a top five at worst all-time WWE Classic match. Uh, five stars for me, Scott. Absolutely held up. Um, every aspect of it held up for me. I uh, Before I give my comments, I'm going to read you guys uh, seven matches. Chad's going to know where I'm going with this. December 14th, 2000, uh, Masanobu Fuchi and Toshiaki Kawada fought Takashi Lizuka and Yuji Nagata in New Japan. March 1st, 2003, Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenta Kobashi in NOAA. July 10th, 2004, Kenta Kobashi versus Jun Akiyama in NOAA. October 16, 2004, Samoa Joe versus CM Punk in ROH. 
September 11, 2005, Christopher Daniels versus AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe and TNA. October 1st, 2005, Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi from ROH. And March 31st, 2006, Sima, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi versus Dragon Kid, Jenki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito from ROH. Those are the only seven matches in the 2000s that Dave Meltzer gave five stars to. Guess what match I didn't read? <laughs> this one. Now, I get it. And, and we've all, it's been lauded more and more. Dave's star system is not gospel. I get that. We all get that. 30-30 are match time, by the way. Longest match of the night. But this could very well be, and we've seen a lot of great matches live on TV in all three of our lives. This might be the most perfectly crafted match we have ever seen. From the story, to the psychology, to the chapters kind of like using steamboat savage as an example chapters one at a time uh you have two guys if you're you're not going to get two better guys in the history of this business that know how to how to sculpt something on a stage like that they knew where they were they knew what they had to do and everything about that match just just showed why they're two of the greatest of all time Taker went through a stretch, you know, Henry's wrestled Batista. He wrestled uh, Orton and, and uh, edge in, in the year before, but this begins a five year stretch from 2009 to 2013, where Taker probably wrestles five, almost perfect WrestleMania matches in a row. And here was a guy who finally was facing somebody that, you know, when you're facing a guy like a Mark Henry in a casket match or, you know, edge or something. Yeah. There's, there's an element of possibility that taker loses, but deep down, you kind of know Taker's going to win. I'll tell you something after Sean kicked out of that tombstone, hit the elbow and smacked that sweet chin music. I mean, right there was the moment you could have legitimately mm -hmm. said for those few seconds, Holy shit. He's going to do it. Yeah. When he didn't, I think we all thought Taker was probably going to eke it out, but you cannot find two guys who get it every moment, not just get it for a match, but within the match, every moment they know what they got to do. They're reading the 77,000. They get it every single time. This is a five-star match. Probably the best match of the decade. And we could go back to great matches over those, that whole 10 year stretch, not just in WWE, but everywhere. But when you have two guys who, I don't want to say past their prime, but on another prime and still put on five stars, everybody backstage, all those guys are in that money in the bank. All those guys under the age of 25 should have been sitting there and watching this match and not moved a muscle. Chad, it is a, it is a perfect template for how you go out onto a stage and take a crowd in. When, as JR said, you pretty much started from nothing. No title, nothing. Just... Let's wrestle. And they figured out a way to just wrestle. Uh, I, I went four and three quarters. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> uh, that actually is raised for me in some ways. I, uh, when we did the greatest wrestler, uh, greatest WWE match of all time, I ranked this four and a half. I as a nine out of 10 on the 10 point scale. On this watch, I went 9.3 out of 10. 
I, I mean, I think this match is the template for what you see in the next 15 years. I, I think they utilize those dramatic near falls constantly now. It still uh-huh. felt organic. It was really well done here. Um, you know, I mean, I still really obviously love the match. I, I just don't think it's a five-star match. The reason I don't, I do think there's a little too much Sean melodrama uh, after the dive of Taker. Just the, that count out, I don't know. Like, the streak's not going to end on a count out. I don't really buy that. And Sean's, like, convulsing in the corner. And I, I don't know. It, it was a little much. Uh, I, I really like the beginning of this match a lot. I, I think they do good and not um, – they kind of set the table in the early going, so the match builds, but it's not like it's uh, meaningless – opening stanza I, I, I mean i think the match has two halves and after takers dives the second half but that first half they do it i think they do a good job of not falling into pitfalls as mm-hmm. far as insignificant mat work or something that won't really carry on to the second half and i'll compare that to another match that's pretty infamous i mean the okada omega match from the tokyo dome on 1-4-2017, I mean, I like that match obviously a lot too, but I, I have that ranked like around four and a quarter, four and a half, and I do think it falls into those pitfalls where the first half is a lot of mat work that doesn't necessarily play into what happens in the second half of the match. Here I thought they cut a good pace. Um, I mean, I I think the Tombstone kick out, uh, I'd say it's the best moment of the street. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I, maybe the orange spine buster is the only other, the other I one. I don't know. Had, like, but... like I'm, I'm really biased because I really do think like being in the crowd for WrestleMania 27, like when triple H hits the tombstone, it's like, oh, like there's only one person that has an ego enough to end the streak on this move. And it's triple H like people thought it was over. Um, but I've all, I mean, I think this is like the classic template and the way the camera is filmed where you get the, the reaction from Taker works. I do think after that, and especially like when Scott said, I mean, when he kicks out of the sweet chin music, you know, like, okay, Taker's going to win. But I thought they did a good job of making that finish still spectacular where Taker catches him in midair uh-huh. uh, and gets the tombstone. I, I don't know. I mean, as far as WWE matches of the 2000 through 2009, it's it's up there for me. I mean, I, there's definitely matches I like more, like Umaga versus Cena from Rumble 07. But I mean, there's not many. I I, I think it's I don't I don't know. I I wouldn't get I don't get too bogged down with semantics. Like, if it's a 9.3 out of 10, or you think it's a 10 out of 10, like. This is still, like, a really, really great match. I just don't think it's one of the greatest matches of all time. Like, that's the distinction. Like, if I had to rank my top 200 matches worldwide that I've ever seen, I mean, this might make the list. It probably wouldn't make my top 100. And that sounds like a lot. That sounds like it's easy to hear that and say, like, oh, well, he must not like the match. But then it's like, well, you know, I mean, I still obviously really like the match. It's just I do think there's some flaws in it um, for me. But I think I had a top five on my GWE 
lists. I think I, I didn't have a one like some people, but I think I was like I, no, I didn't have it at one. I think I did it two or five, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah. I had it at two. I think. I, I mean, I don't begrudge. I, I, it's one of those where I, if you say it is, I don't begrudge. I mean, I see how. I think, I think if you have the emotional connection too. I mean, that's part of it too. Like neither one of these guys are my guys either. See, I don't have that that? connection either though on this one because in my mind, until I rewatched it, I always thought it was a little overrated too. I knew it was like a five, but like to me, I would never touch my top couple. Like Hart Austin for me is always above this, no matter. Yeah, that's. Um, And but when I watched it again, I was actually like, oh, okay, it is really great. Like I I was actually expecting to maybe not be as high as I as I ended up being watching it. but I don't have that connection either. Like as, as big of a Sean fan as I am, like I didn't come into this thinking like, I think it's just more the era. Like I just don't care as much about the era. Um, like to me, it'll, it would never pass hard Austin. And I have warrior savage above it too. Um, and I still would keep it behind oh, those yeah. two. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think something like Brett versus Owen for me from tens above this for me, just on WrestleMania matches uh, uh, right. as well. So, all right, uh, we see Evander Holyfield in the crowd as we reset again with our announcers. We then get a video package for our next match, which is our next-to-last match. John Cena, Big Show, and Edge battling for the World Heavyweight title. Uh, an interesting little battle, Scott. Uh, probably not the three guys you would have imagined to be in this match, uh, you know, in the winter, maybe, say. Um, but how do we get to this one? All right, well, another long uh, another long story. I'll try and uh, I'll try and tighten it up. So on the 216 Raw, which is the night after No Way Out, Vicky announced Edge was the new world champion. Edge talked about what he did that night and announced uh, she was now in charge of Raw. Along with SmackDown, Cena came out, challenged Edge to a rematch. Edge said no. He was going back to SmackDown. Cena said he still had an automatic rematch as they recapped their feud from 06. And Cena said he would follow Edge wherever he went. Uh, On the uh, 2020 SmackDown, Edge cut a promo saying the fans hoped he lost the title so they could rub it in his face, but he's a winner and took the opportunity to become world champion. Uh, the following Raw, Cena told Vicky he was cashing in his rematch clause. As Edge and Show came out, Edge said Cena was trying to make this make, trying to be this generation's hero, although it would never happen. Later that night, Vicky told Cena he would not get his rematch, and Cena said he would follow Vicky everywhere until he got it, and uh, Cena beat Chavo in a squash. Later that week on SmackDown, Cena made his first appearance on SmackDown in two years and demanded his rematch. Edge came out and accepted only for Vicky to say Edge wouldn't compete. Cena would face Show instead. Uh, Show beat Cena after Edge distracted him. On the 3-2 Raw, Cena finally received his rematch against Edge. He'd win by DQ. Edge hit him with with the belt. Vicky came out and said Show and Edge would be here at Mania for the world title. Uh, Later that week on the 3-6 SmackDown, Vicky was ready to host the contract signing. Edge confronted her about her decision and her relationship which show and Vicky said the relationship was strictly professional show came out, said he was so dominant. He was going to beat edge um, edge. And then some uh, video came out and uh, <laughs> Vicky, Vicky smacked edge on the uh, Vicky smacked big show on the ass. It was pretty funny um, on the three, nine raw edge confronted Vicky uh, and demanded to know what Cena whispered to her, though she refused to answer later that night uh, edge brought up being at WrestleMania six she would keep Edge and Show back as Cena admitted he was lying, though he knew the man in charge of the security cameras, and he fired up footage of Show and Vicky in her office. They talked about their affair, started making out. Uh, very interesting. Show was left standing awkwardly on the floor. Uh, that was <laughs> very strange. Uh, on the 313 SmackDown, Edge spoke with Chavo about Vicky cheating, and Edge lost it, and he slammed Chavo against the wall. Following week, Vicky told Edge she was sorry for what happened, and Show then forced himself on her, so she's trying to spin the story. 
She puts Cena in a match with Edge with herself as the guest ref. And if Cena touched her during the match, he'd lose a spot in the triple threat. In the main event, Cena defeated Edge by DQ. Show got involved. The two double team Cena until Edge gave Show the spear. Uh, more stuff between the three of them on that 320 SmackDown. Uh, on the 323 Raw, Cena cut a promo wishing Vicky best in her recovery after she got speared and uh, dropped by Big Show. Uh, Edge fought in a match. Vicky refused to talk to either of them before the match. Cena would appear in the Titan Tron. Fans were laughing at them due to them fighting over Vicky and not the title. Uh, on the 327 SmackDown, Cena cut another promo about the importance of the match. Um, on the 330 Raw, Edge met with Cena and offered an alliance with him against Show. Cena refused. Show beat Cena and Edge and attacked Cena after the match. And then finally on the 4-3 SmackDown, Edge cut a promo saying he was reminded on Raw why he is the best and he had regained his focus and vowed to leave WrestleMania once again champion. I got a lot about, well, when I get to my comments, but I got a lot about this whole long <laughs> winding road. It's this, a weird uh, one because like, yeah, it makes sense given they're the three most prominent faces of 08. Like show had a big year. He deserved it. Um, but like, once you see it on paper in the story, it's like, eh. it's like, all right, seen edge again shows kind of, you know, whatever. Like it's not, it's not hot on paper, which right. I guess is okay with Taker, Sean money in the bank, triple H Orton had a hot build. We had the legend. So like, I guess you could punt one. Um, again, show deserved the reward after his 08. Correct. But, but it's like back to Edge, back to Cena, like Edge with another title match, still with the Vicky stuff. It's just like, and I guess, again, I'm not saying she didn't deserve the spot because she was such a big player in 08. So it's kind of a payoff to all their work in, throughout 08, but I don't know. It's a lot. Um, it is Chavo wheels out Vicky. We get these standard Edge and show entrances. Cena with a pretty memorable entrance here. He's got the Eminem type clones and he comes up to word life. So it's a cool throwback. Um, we get a good buzz in the crowd as show dominates, clubs down Cena. Edge wants to team with Show, but that goes poorly as Show scoops him up and drops him on his nuts. Show keeps hammering on Cena as Edge recovers outside. Chava wheels Vicky around to observe like she's friggin' Hector Salamanca. Cena slugs back and dumps Show to the floor. Edge drop kicks the steps into Show's knees. Cena hits a guillotine leg drop off the top to the floor at a great spot. Edge takes over in the ring, gets two on an impaler. Show recovers, gets two on Cena on a side slam. Chavo breaks up the pin. Cena wipes him out and ties Show in the ropes. Nice through Edge with a flurry. Vicky gets on the apron, gets nailed, and Cena shoves Edge through her. Show is screaming, watching as Cena gets a near fall. Show demands the ref untie him, and the ref does. Show wipes out both guys, gets to work with heavy strikes and avalanches. Show loads up a double choke slam. Cena slips free. Edge takes a ride. Cena tries an AA, but Show blocks, knocks out Cena with a punch, and knocks him to the floor. Show follows out, but Edge takes him down as officials check on Vicky. Edge spears Show through the barricade. He heads back in and gets two on Cena. Cena recovers, looks at SDF on Edge, but Show breaks it up from the floor and headbutts down Cena. Show misses a Vader bomb. All three guys are down. Cena, Edge team up, hit a double team suplex on Edge, dump him to the floor. Edge kicks down Cena. Cena fights back, goes up top, but Show shoves him off. And he flies into an Edge spear, which is a well done spot. Show breaks up another pin and hammers on Edge, but Edge hops onto his back in a sleeper. Cena hoists up both men, but Edge falls off onto Cena. And Cena hits the AA on Show. Cena then hits an AA on Edge onto Show to win the match and win the title in a pretty good finish. I thought it was a fun match. They worked in some fresh spots, some big time spots to make us stand out. Nothing really stood out historically, but they worked hot, you know, hard to keep it moving. The crowd is a lot of it. Like, I don't blame them after Sean and Taker. Um, and there's no true face here with Cena always split. The other two guys are kind of heel. 
I think putting the belt back on Cena makes sense. Edge is going to do something else, anything else. <laughs> I just need a change from Edge being in the world title picture with Vicky. Um, it wasn't great, but it was fine. Like it didn't, it didn't have a usual structure to a match. It was all over the place, which I like. Um, and it was good they didn't close the show with it. Like I think that would have been a bad call. So I think Cena getting the belt back, it's kind of a forgotten match. I think it's. It's one of those ones that's good. Like, I went three and a half. Like, it's a good match. It's worked well. But it's nothing you're ever going to get excited about watching again. So, it's, it's just kind of there, Chad. I, I don't know. I don't I don't know how else to describe it. It's yeah. fine. It's good. But I don't, I'm don't. i fine never seeing it again. Star, Stardust tonight. Um, I, I had trouble ranking this, too. I settled on three. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the angle at all from the video package, what we saw. I thought it was lame uh i don't know when vicky guerrero became this great sex pot that everybody desired but that right that was that, right. Did, that, was nice. that didn't make no sense that all of a sudden her and big show had a side thing going on i don't know uh the match itself well, I, I think thought, it's it's supposed to be about power right like big shows i think it's presented like he's using her to get he's the title using show, her to right? get yeah, the title it. show up? they're both okay. kind of using her i think that's how and she's using them as, as like a cougar so I think, I think that's kind of been the the thing is that they're all using each other right <laughs> uh, i i found that sort of like telenovela annoying uh there's a great moment where like chavo's wielder like halfway down the uh, aisle as they're doing the video package and then there's a split second where you know he was supposed to kind of like start wheeling her down right as they come back to the arena and he's like a second or two behind his cue so he's just standing there frozen and then he starts wheeling her down it looks awkward um you know i think as the resident ptb hater on edge i must say i didn't think he was very good in this match I thought he didn't get good air on the spot where he sends Big Show through the barricade. Um, kind of just basically like humps him and they go down. And then even on the finish, uh, I, I believe that Cena was supposed to do the AA to both of them. You could see that Edge's uh, feet get caught under the ropes and then he slips out. And that's when they kind of call the audible. I mean, it kind of works where they have it for a split second where he has both of them hoisted up. So you still can get like that still shot of Cena deadlift them both. But on commentary, like they were really selling this as like this amazing feat of strength. And it's like he had them up for like a millisecond. Like they were, they were always selling. I think that was just because of what they wanted to do for the finish. Um, as a match, it was fun. I mean, I thought Cena and Big Show were pretty motivated. I mean, it's always nice to see Big Show motivated. He's so like inconsistent throughout his WWE run uh, that it was nice to see him here. I thought I thought he was really moving well and hit his big spots. And Cena winning the belt felt right. It just overall between kind of the clunkiness of the angle and some of the clunkiness of the execution. I thought I thought the match was good, but it, I don't know. It, it was a weird spot where, like, it's good, but it felt like it could have been, I don't know, No Mercy 2008 instead of WrestleMania semi-main event. Like, that. That's the. I think that's yeah, the that's biggest that's the, that's grievance of it. Yeah. Like, it's not something, you know, it, you can put it on, and if you're watching the show, it's not like, it's like, oh, this sucks, but it's also like, all right, like, this... This this show felt like it'd been really building, 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 and then it certainly peaked. 
And then it's like, well, how are they going to stick the landing with this and the match we're about to talk about? And while I don't think this was like falling flat on its face, it was like, okay, like we're we're definitely on the downswing. Like, like this is not matching what came before. So three stars. Yeah, I gave it three and a quarter. I I, I mean, I thought the match was fine. Uh, I agree with you, Chad, that this this match seemed and felt very ordinary. Uh. You know, it's three stars. I mean, stars meaning the guys. I mean, Edge, Cena, and Show. But I think though, I think Vicky kind of. I think I'm getting uh, La Familia fatigue at this point. It's like, all right, we get it. Like, why is Vicky getting all this pub? Like, it's it's getting old now, and like Show, like getting like it's all just very just weird. And I, I actually enjoyed Cena the most in this build because. He was, he, he did the right thing. He's like, you know what? You guys worry about like you two and Vicky. I'm, I'm getting my belt back. Like Cena was perfect in this feud. Otherwise the whole thing was going to be an absolute clunker. Uh, I didn't hate the match. I've seen better edge matches. I like edge. I've seen better edge matches. Uh, I've seen better Cena matches, but this was fine. I mean, it served its purpose. It, it, it It's not often that you have to say that a world title match is a cooler, but this was a cooler. Um, because in terms of match length, you know that the last match is going to be pretty meaty, <laughs> just based on who's in it. So, uh, you know, you didn't want to totally kill the crowd here. This match was 14-14. So, yeah. Yeah, they kept it pretty tight. They I, kept I mean, it pretty tight. For a world title match, triple threat of Mania, like under 15 minutes is a pretty quick sprint for that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This build was just so, in, in my opinion, it was just so unrealistic, like, Oh, let's all let's all pine for Vicky because she's got all the clout. It, I get it, but it's just so smarmy, and I don't know. It just felt very. I'm getting very fatigued. I agree. It's time for, you know, it's time to start elevating and and start moving some guys around on on SmackDown and give and have Edge do something else. I feel like they didn't have anything creative for him, so let's just keep him as champion or something, and then we're fine with that. It's time for other guys to kind of get shifted and give Edge a little breather and do some other stuff because. Him constantly at the top is it was getting very old very quickly. He had a great 07. He had a decent 08, but you could tell right now that if he stays at the top at nine, he's gonna he's gonna start getting the the booze and not heal booze very quickly. But this match was fine. Cena winning was the right idea. Um that's about it. I agree with you, Chad. It it felt very backlash, <laughs> you know, or judgment yeah. day-ish. Yeah. It didn't have that mania feel. Right. No, I think it could have easily been. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what else they could have done. This felt like one. It just felt like they, they. Yeah, it's like they wanted Edge in the Mania main event. They wanted Cena in the main main event. Show had nothing to do. Throw them together. And we'll move on. But I'm with you. Like this, I'm played out. I'm done. Done with Edge on top with the Familia. Like, I don't know what else to do with these guys. I could even sit here and tell you what to do with the three of them. Like they all feel like they're kind of out of shit to do. I mean, is there anybody else that Cena could have faced at this? Uh, I mean, like, I, I keep mean, he thinking storyline, so it could have been anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, like the Hardy thing was so like ingrained with each other, but like Jeff Hardy versus him, if they could have built to that, that feels like that would have been a super hot match based I on agree. what the way right. happened. But I yeah, don't, I don't know how you belt. get there. You know, if you wanted to put the belt on, it depends on how you wanted Cena to come off because he would have definitely gotten the heat for that one. 
Yeah. So. Well, you could have just held off on the Matt heel turn a little bit longer and put him in Money in the Bank, and then had had the Hardy Cena match. Yeah. Other than that, I don't I don't know what else you do unless yeah. you put Cena in Money in the Bank. I mean, if you want to really mix it up and like let him throw down with a bunch of guys in the Money in the Bank, like that could be a cool cool way to start the show with him and that. Mm. And you could do just Show versus Edge in a quick match if you want to like pay off the Vicky thing on its own. But for the whatever, I think they wanted the belt back on Cena. It's yeah. fine. Honestly, it's it's not worth analyzing too much because I think it's um yeah. Whatever. They only spent fifteen. It's like they built the show around it. It was like the it's like Triple H Booker at nineteen. I mean, it's like a world title match, but it's like the fourth from the top as far as like interest in exactly right. and all that. So no, exactly. whatever. All right, we get a recap of the Hall of Fame segment, uh or Hall of Fame ceremony. Then we get the Hall of Famers, they come out. Austin gets a very long moment in the sun. He rides around his four by four, he drinks beers, monster pop. Um, as you would expect. So a cool, cool moment for him. Uh, Triple H versus Orton is our main event. We get a recap package for that. We then see backstage Hunter meets with Vince and Shane McMahon. They kind of trade nods because this storyline has been a winding one, Scott, uh, to get to this place. How do we get the, here? You want to talk about the long and winding road. This one at least made sense, but woof. All right. So there is a tip for this match. If Triple H is disqualified or counted out, he will lose the title. So. All right. Uh, on the 216 Raw, Shane McMahon challenged Orton to an unsanctioned fight, which Orton accepted. Of course, Orton beat Shane the night before. Stephanie tried to talk Shane out of the match, though he refused, and she would call someone on the phone as she told this person to get here quickly. In the main event, Orton and Shane fought to a no contest. When Legacy got involved, and Orton would punch Shane in the head. Stephanie came out and checked on Shane before yelling at Orton, who gave her the RKO. He would stand stunned at what he did when Triple H ran out and chased Legacy out of the ring before checking on Stephanie as he was left stewing. On that week's SmackDown, JR did an interview with Triple H. He said Orton has been walking a fine line, hiding behind lawyers. Even though no one likes Vince, he didn't deserve to be kicked in the head, neither did Shane. He then brought up Orton putting his hands on his wife, though he would leave the room and end the interview abruptly. On the 223 Raw, Legacy came down to the ring with Orton, brandishing a sledgehammer, as he said he was the real victim and not the McMahons, and he would go on a tirade as Triple H would arrive to the arena with his own sledgehammer. He would come down to the ring. Both men disposed their weapons. Triple H came out with another sledgehammer, chased Legacy to the back, cornered them uh, to the dressing room or used the hammer to break the door down. He would chase them out of the building, and then they jumped into a waiting car. Typical, you know, heels drive off in the Crown Vic or whatever. On the 3-2 Raw, Legacy was in the ring with lawyers and security as Orton declared he would challenge for the world title at Mania since he did win the Rumble and said that he was pressing charges against Triple H who would spend WrestleMania in jail. Triple H would come out with the sledgehammer and security blocked him until he tossed it aside. He would remind Orton of what happened in 04 and that Orton uh, was still the same scared boy in evolution that had talent but was gutless. The lawyers would try to have Triple H escort out of the ring, but Orton held them back as he said he would face Triple H at Mania instead. And he said Triple H couldn't touch him until Mania uh, or he would be sent to jail. This was actually a great moment here. Orton said that he enjoyed kicking Vincent Shane in the heads as well as giving Stephanie the RKO. Uh, and Triple H got in Orton's face, reminded him that he broke his collarbone last year and vowed to break Orton's neck. Okay, it wasn't the moment yet. Uh, on the 3-6 SmackDown, Triple H photo Maga to no contest. Legacy got involved. Maybe Triple H now. On the 3-9 Raw, Orton was home. This is the <laughs> this is the, this is the ludicrous moment of this feud. Uh, Orton is at his home, his, you know, prefab home. And it's, as he said, what he did on SmackDown was nothing compared to what he would do at Mania. Triple H then broke the door down. <laughs> And they threw each other all over this. It looked like a uh, Raymore and Flanagan <laughs> preset living room. Yeah, uh, that was pretty much. That was, that was pretty awful. Uh, on the three sixteen Raw, Orton cut a promo. Oh, no, we did that one because okay, here we go. Cut a promo. 
Uh, let's see. On the 320 SmackDown, Triple H cut a promo saying uh, he, to his marriage to Stephanie was the worst kept secret in wrestling, though he kept it secret for business reasons and said that he let what happened to Vincent Shane slide because they were grown men, though he would get revenge for Stephanie and there'd be no cops to stop him. On the 323 Raw, this is a good one. Triple H fought Orton and DiBiase doing no contest. Rhodes got involved, and the three men handcuffed Triple H to the ropes. Orton took the mic and said only one person could save Triple H as he pulled out a sledgehammer. Stephanie would run down to the ring and pleaded for him to stop until Rhodes and DiBiase forced her to get on the apron. Orton would grab Stephanie and hit a hanging DDT while Triple H struggled to get free. Orton would grab the sledgehammer and teased hitting Stephanie with it. Instead, he would get down and plant a kiss on her face as Triple H is flipping out in the corner with the... Uh, uh, still uh, handcuffed to the uh, corner, which I thought was a pretty cool move. Uh, on the 330 Raw, Orton cut a promo. He's the youngest champion in history. Yada, yada, yada. Um, same stuff. Triple H would come out uh, to his home, gave a false confidence for showing the footage from Raw last week, said that Vicky added a stipulation that if Hunter was DQ or counter out, he'd lose. We'd go outside where a limo pulled up, though it was real to be empty. Vince and Shane made their returns. As they came out on the stage, Vince rolled his arms up like he was a, like he was a lumberjack. And uh, Triple H joined them as they fought off security and brawled with Legacy. All right. It's been a long climb. I mean, this feud's really been on and off for 16 months or so. Like, this is one, you March. know, it was going on in, in early 08 before the injury and <laughs> even before uh, and into late 07. Orton's on fire. Uh, he baited Hunter into this match. He wrecked his family. It's been an intense build. Yep. The stip is stupid. Yeah, it as is. stupid as it gets. Um, yeah. You want chaos. I know we've already had Money in the Bank, and I know we already had an Extreme Rules match, but this whole feud has been built upon hate and anger and defending your family, and it's supposed to be a rager. He just he destroyed the man's house and attacked him, and now he's going to come out here, wrestle, hold for hold. Like, it's so stupid. It just yep. made no sense. Um, right out of the gate, it cut their knees off. Uh, it's an intense entrance uh, for Orton. Hunter gets a good pop. Uh, he hits a glass wall with a sledgehammer. Hunter attacks at the belly, stomps away. We keep getting tons of reminders about the DQ. Uh, Orton bounces up. He snaps off an RKO. Hunter deals with the ref, but whiffs on a punt. Hunter hits a pedigree, so now we're on even ground. They both hit their finishers already. We alternate in and out of the ring. It's Hunter's all punch kick. Uh, running Orton into the post, he slugs more back in the ring. Hunter slowly picks apart Orton. He focuses on the neck. Orton just keeps trying to escape. He's able to shoot Hunter into the steps. Orton takes it back to the ring, works the leg and the lower midsection as the crowd has faded quite a bit while we meander along. The strikes are well executed, just very slow. Orton cranks on the neck. He lays in more strikes. We go for a while with Hunter finding openings, trying to take over, but Orton slugs back into control. A lot of quick counters. Orton counters Hunter coming off the top with a drop kick as the crowd heats back up a bit. Orton lines up a punt, but Hunter blocks and flips Orton over the top rope in a nice spot. Kind of a cool call back to when Orton got injured. Uh, Hunter wants to crush Orton with a monitor, but the ref reminds him not to get DQ'd, so he just kicks him. Uh, Orton comes back and backdrops Hunter on the announce table, hits a hanging DDT on the floor. Orton gets back to work in the ring, hammers away, uses the ref to block an attack, hits an RKO, but no one's there to count. Orton slithers outside. He comes back in with a sledgehammer, but Hunter hits him with a punt. Orton has an amazing sell off the punt. Just it looks like he's dead. Hunter keeps slugging away, beating Orton into a coma with punches, and then hits the pedigree and wins the title. Uh, not much drama late, but I liked him beating Orton to oblivion. I thought that was a good finish if you were going to have to do it without the weapons. And he gets a pop for the win. So listen, I think this match is actually not bad. <laughs> I actually didn't mind it. Um, it was too long. And it was the wrong match for this night and feud. It's the big problem. Why is Hunter trying to pin him uh, and wrestle him instead of murder him? That's the problem. 
if you want to do this type of match, you have to have Orton as champion. So Hunter wants to take his belt. Everything is backwards. The crowd's in and out of it more than you may want or remember. They actually liked it. They weren't quiet. Um, they had so much story and history. This could have been a violent classic to close the night. We saw them have one in No Mercy. Like, they had a really good brawl. Just let them go out there and tear it down. Instead, we have the standard run of the bill match with a strip that just crippled it. Um, Orton's character work is amazing. I like the finish. I love Orton just getting punched into unconsciousness. Hunter rolls on. I didn't think the match actually killed the pay-per-view. And if you have to rank the closing Triple H matches that like people shit on um, because they're at the wrong spot, where well, you got Jericho, you got this, you got Reigns, you got Batista. Like, I think this actually isn't the worst. Like, I, I didn't mind it. Um, it it kneecaps the show from being an all-timer. As it is, I think it's a great mania. Um, but I think it caps it from being the best mania, which it could have been if this is like an all-out brawl classic blood fest which it could have been um this may have been like in contention for the best of wrestlemanias when you look at it top to bottom because there's not much else dead on the show uh i still went three stars again i like the match a decent amount i just think it was the wrong match at the wrong time we needed an angry feast of madness and we just don't get it we just get a, a wrestling match and if you're going to build to a blood feud with a payoff to defend this guy's family after Orton stalked and murdered them all you needed Hunter to be able to destroy him. And I guess in the end, he does it. He just punches him into unconsciousness. But this needed to be, again, an empty the sink match. And I don't blame them for going after Taker Sean. Like, to me, this isn't like 18 where you knew Hogan Rock was going to like dominate and like be amazing with the crowd. Like, you knew that should close the show. It's an all time classic. I don't think you knew Taker Sean was going to be that classic. I think it's retrospect, just like WrestleMania 23 was retrospect with Taker and Batista. No one knew that was going to be the classic it was, and they had a chip on the shoulder, all that. No one knew Taker Sean was going to be a five star or four and three quarter star all time classic, right? Like it was, it, it shocked everybody. So I think Triple H Orton had the bill to actually warrant this main event spot. They just didn't deliver on the stipulation. Because even at WrestleMania 18, the Triple H Jericho match, that bill was a joke. I know it was his return, but Hogan Rock should have closed. This one, I think, is retrospect to say Taker Sean should have closed. I don't, I don't think anyone knew in any world that that match was going to be what it was. And again, going into this, there was a lot of excitement because the build was like Orton was red hot. Triple H was on. They just needed to let them brawl and kick the shit out of each other. And instead, we just we just don't do it. Um, it's far from the most egregious of the Triple H main events. <laughs> I, got that. I, don't think, I think I think Triple H reigns is the worst of the bunch. Um, I, I don't I don't think this even comes close to that. So uh, that, that's where I stand, Scott. What do you think? Um, I gave this. I gave it three stars as well. Your time twenty four twenty four, which is a little long. Here's the thing. I philosophically, I actually don't mind the stip because technically, Orton is protecting himself from Triple H's wrath by saying, "You go too far, and that belt is mine." So you gotta you gotta contain yourself. You think it's easy to, to just beat the shit out of me? You you met you, you do you you slip once, and that belt's mine, and that's really all you care about. The problem is this wasn't the stage to do with that. I would have done that stip the next month. I would have I would have had I would have had an all out like brawl to end all brawls, and it's okay to have multiple. Like I don't where is there an unwritten rule you can only have one all-out brawl per show. Like, that's that's stupid. Yeah, you have the money in the bank. You had Matt and Jeff. You could do it here, too. There's there's no rule that states you have to, or you can't. Um, 
It's the only other match you would have ended with. And no, you don't end the show with Taker Sean. Let's all, we're not no, somebody tells us, we're not no dumbasses. Nobody knew that Taker Sean was going to be five stars. Taker Sean historically was a great match, but Taker Sean had wrestled since the 98 Rumble. So in 11 years, did we really know how good it was going to be? No, it wasn't going to suck. But it wasn't going to be. The I mean, it could have. Like, I don't. I mean, Taker was in a good stretch. So probably not. But right. Like, there's a chance it was like a three star match or something. Right. Like, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't think that was out of the realm of possibility. No, I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that it was going to be a dud. But it. But who? No one knew they were going to pull five stars out of the ass. No. The following year, perfect sense because both title matches are very lukewarm anyway. But we'll get there. When we get there. Well, we knew uh, they could do it by that point. Like, right. Exactly. No one knew plus, that this could be great. Plus the two world, the, the two title matches at that mania are even more lukewarm than these two are. But yeah. we'll get there. But the match itself is fine. There's been crappier ones involving the two of them. But I would have done this step the next month at Backlash. I would not have done it here. I would have I would have let these guys go all out. I would have had Orton try to protect himself, yet at the same time try to make Taker, uh, you know, try to make Triple H kind of slip and and make a mistake and take the title from him. So I don't have a problem with the philosophy of the no DQ, no count out. I just wouldn't have done it here. I maybe would have I done think, it back. I think Orton should have won. I think it should have been mm. a wild brawl. And and Orton, Orton's red hot and the fans are into him. Like, let's let him win. Like, we've we've closed a mania with, a, with the face. I would have a problem with that. Have Orton win here. In a, in a, and then you do your step, right? Where um, if Joe Fischer gets DQ'd or whatever, that's his last title shot, right? Or right. instead of losing the title, it's his last, any loss is his last title shot. So now he has to wrestle in control because Orton says, right. I gave you your brawl and you lost. Now you got to beat me in a match. And then Triple right. H beats him in the match. You punches him. It would then you do the backlash. Like, yeah, I, I think I would have had Orton win this match, actually. I, 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 I got no problem with that. I would have had no problem with Orton winning. Not at all. It's been his no year. He's amazing. And I think, I think the crowd probably would have cheered it too. Um, Triple H, like Vince and Shane could have come out and Stephanie and Triple H could have been all like fucked up or whatever. And I think it would have been fine. It would have been absolutely fine. Um, but the crowd's hot when the show ends and that's that's kind of all that matters there. Um, but I, I had no problem with it, Chad. I agree with JR. If Orton won, I'd have been fine with it. I get the stip. I just wouldn't have put it here. I would have let these two go put the pedal to the metal and just beat the crap out of each other. I went two and three quarters. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was better than I thought going in. I think it's worked actually really well. It's not one of these where Triple H kind of conceptualizes a different match than what it should have been. Um, I mean, it's a brawl throughout. Like, you don't see him trying to work holds and do a lot of body work and you know like uh orton with the chin lock can be one of his downfalls at different points and he doesn't utilize that here so i think it's worked really well i i think you could have cut definitely six or seven minutes and that would have helped and overall i think it's just one of those weird things where like triple h is just the wrong person for this type of match where like if you think about it like okay, like any Austin and Hogan, like these all-time baby faces, like when you match up the devious heel, even something that was seen as like distasteful, like the Desert Storm angle, when they get to the Desert Storm match in Madison Square Garden, the MSG crowd's still hot for Hogan. And like he's feeding off like Hogan being more violent and going toe-to-toe. Uh, I mean, I think they were definitely hindered with no blood. 
that's just one of those things. Like, I think this is a match that did call for blood would have helped. And over overall, it's just it's just one of those weird things where like everything psychologically wise, it makes sense. It's just it's too long. And Triple H just isn't that type of baby face, to be honest. Like he's just not that sympathetic at this point of his career. So it's you could have double turned. I mean, Triple H just had a pretty long run as a face at this point. You could have done a double turn. Ward wins, and then Triple H destroys him after, and then maybe set some sympathy. And you know that'd have been interesting. Yeah, like or even. I mean, this is like crazy fantasy booking, but you could have went like a new legacy route too, like mm-hmm. after the match. Like, I mean, there's there's certainly options. I I think. I, I mean, I I do think the crowd here is certainly hotter than, uh, for sure, thirty two. I mean, I think thirty two is the worst, but I think oh, they're yeah. even hotter than eighteen um, and twenty one. Yeah, twenty one's probably even more disappointing as a match. I would say for sure. I think this is the best of those four main events. Uh, like, I think Jericho is next, and then probably Batista, and then Reigns yeah. of the four it, Triple H main events. I, I would say I'd want to rewatch them to rank them, but that would be a lie. Well, I, d- I did watch the Reigns one recently, and it holds up as dog shit. I could tell you that. Yeah, no. <laughs> but this, I mean, this wasn't bad. I, I, it just, you could have, I mean, in the way the pay-per-view runs like you definitely could have chopped six or seven minutes and you're still talking about like a three hour and 50 minute pay-per-view so that that would have been a quick easy fix i mean i think that's the only thing from a actual mechanical standpoint if they were committed to this stipulation and how they worked the match that's one of the faults that's on them like they went too long but right. otherwise, as far as what they actually did psychologically wise, it made sense through what they were trying to tell and the storyline they were trying to convey. It's just they're kind of the wrong guys to tell that story. And it's a weird stipulation where you do feel handcuffed. Like this is I mean, these guys have matched up a good bit before, but it'd been, you know, a couple of years or whatever. Uh, well, no, it hadn't because they just had fought the months. Before. See, that's the problem. Yeah, they were like handcuffed themselves where now like they've ramped up the storyline. Right. It's, yeah. Is what it is. Yeah, they should have. I mean, to not even have like legacy really out there, like it just like in the McMahon, yeah. like it should have been. It's the same argument over and over. Like the same as seeing the JBL, like you build the whole story around interference and a stable and like. Why is a legacy coming out trying to do everything they can to help Orton? Why are the McMahons out there fighting them off? Like that's what this should right. have been—a wild brawl, yeah. like yeah, them but... going crazy. Orton and, and I mean Rhodes and DiBiase are out there. Vince and Shane come out to a pop. They fight them off. Like, like that's the whole. Stephanie comes out and slaps them. Like that should have been the payoff to all this. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm not advocating more McMahon shit, but that's the storyline of what this was. And we kind of get it the next month, but. I was just, I don't know. They're always a month late on some of these main events. Like, like they saved the big craziness I, ever since 2000. They, they like save the crazy shit for like backlash or whatever. And like, don't, right. it's like a running thing since then for the most part, outside of a couple. So, all right, we get a music video to close us out. And that's that. Another WrestleMania in the books, Scott, our second of the yes. uh, rebooted journey here on the place to be. Let's get yes. to our awards and then we'll close out this supersized episode. Uh, MVP, I kind of took the cheap way out. I just went Shawn Michaels on Undertaker. I mean, great match. Like, this is what you remember from the show. It's an all-time classic. They, I don't think one one carried the other. I think they both were equal parts of that match. They're the stars. When you think of this show, you think of them. Yeah, I agree. 
You too, Chad. You're good. I mean, I would go with just Undertaker. But... We're going to put a boat. Uh, LVP, I, I'm going with Santino. <laughs> I, I thought he completely ruined oh. that whole Battle Royal thing. It was stupid. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Ruined, wrecked the whole thing for me. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right. Match of the night, obviously, is Sean and Taker. Triple H and Orton. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. Well, actually, for you, <laughs> yeah, you were having that. Uh, worst no, match no. was the Battle Royal. That was clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Moment of the night, I went with, uh, he had to get Austin in here somewhere. So I went with his Hall of Fame celebration, like a monster pop. And it was a cool, yeah. You know, it seemed like that was going to be maybe it for him. I mean, and it was for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I would go with the uh, tombstone kick out. Yeah, I don't think I we think see. That's... Oh, that is pretty great. Oh, that's a good one, Chad. But I mean, we don't see Austin again till. Well, he's 30. on a bunch, but he doesn't. Right. But we don't see him at Mania again till 30. So, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. He's right. at 27. He is. is he? Oh, yeah. uh, part oh, of the, yeah. the cold. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Special guest referee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Surprise of the night. There's a few. I mean, Sean Taker over delivering is one. But I ended up going with Steamboat. Steamboat still can go. Like, that's that was a huge shock mm-hmm. on that night to me. Yeah. I almost went with, till I thought about it, I almost went with Matt beating Jeff, but. Now that I think about it, it made more sense. So I'll go with Steamboat still looking like Steamboat. Yeah, yeah that's good. All right. I, this is a great mania. I think it's actually overlooked historically. Um, there's really not a down stretch. I mean, the Battle Royal, for as much as we shit on it, it's really not that long. And it's out of the way early. Um, you know, like compare this like 21. This doesn't have the down stretches of 21 does toward the back end, especially since we all were kind of the same on Orton Triple H. Like it's. It's fine. Like, there's not that drop after Michael's taker that you think there is. Like, those last two matches are good, but it's not great. So I don't think it – those two prevent it from going up a level. But I think it's a better version of, like, 21 because you have just as good of a money in the bank. And I don't know, where's taker Michaels versus angle Michaels. Like, I think it's a good comp. I think, like, 21 and 25 are a good comp. You have a um, – you have the Hall of Fame. Like, you have Hogan and 21. You got Austin at 25. You can equate um, Matt and Jeff to Eddie and Ray. Yeah. Well, you know, say it, Orton Taker. Yeah, Orton Taker, yep. Um, so I, I think it's, it, you know, the sumo kind of compares to the Battle Royal. You know, like so it's, it's like th- there's a lot of comps, and I think the two big matches, the two closers are better than 21 in my mind. Um, so I ended up going 8.5 out of 10 on the show. I think it's a, it's a great mania. It's just not an all-timer because of those two, but those are good enough to prevent it from sliding more. So I think I think if I and I just watched twenty one recently for for war and I, I I think I'd watch twenty five again before twenty one. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, when I think about it, when we grade our shows, I always think about is this a show that I would watch? Like, can I put the show on any time? Um, I think about I think about like a WrestleMania like nineteen I could watch any time, twenty two I could kind of watch any time. And this one I could watch anytime. So I agree with you. I'll give this eight and a half. I wanted to give it a nine, but it didn't. If the Triple H Orton match had a kind of a different serendipitous route, maybe, but nah, I, it, it can't go above eight and a half. But all the matches delivered as good as they were going to. Uh, the Battle Royal was early enough in the show that you forget about it and don't get too offended. Um, the concert early enough, don't, don't mind it. Uh, the Hall of Fame stuff's great. It's it's just a fun show to watch, and it's not, you know, for for current WrestleMania standards. I mean the 
if I remember correctly, the Peacock file length was like 358, which yeah, isn't good. that bad. It could, I mean, we've seen worse. It's no shorter it's than, cool. it's no longer than like WrestleMania 7. I mean, 7, yeah, if you look exactly. at 7 on time, it's like right around that. So yeah, I, I think, so. um, and I think it's a fitting end. Like if you think of the season stuff, right? Like from WrestleMania 24 to 25 is a great year. Like we talk, all these pay-per-views have been awesome. Yep. And I think this is a fitting close to that year. I'm curious to see over the next year because, you know, my feelings on 10 to 11, but nine to 10 is an interesting stretch. We'll see how it holds up from a pay-per-view standpoint, but Chad, what did you have for final grade? Uh, I've always kind of been, I guess, lower on this show. And I think consensus. I liked it better. This watch. I went eight. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird show for me where I do think it's a pretty easy watch. It, it actually made me nostalgic for the four hour wrestlemanias because i thought everything felt uh like appropriately epic in some mm-hmm. ways and it was over in one day it right. was it was nice to have that uh but from just uh comparing it to kind of that stretch of 21 through 25 it, it becomes kind of a, a mathy equation in my mind and there's a couple of those manias like 23 and 24 actually have three to maybe four matches at four stars or above. And this one only had two. Um, and then a couple of like very good matches. So, so that kind of slides it down a little bit, but I, I, I thought it was a great show. Eight out of 10. Yeah. So I mean, I went seven and a half at 24. So I, I, I liked it better than 24, yeah. but I'm yeah. lower on Sean and flair. Uh, a little bit lower on Taker and Edge, you know. So, like, I, I think. I mean, I definitely don't think twenty four has anything to match Sean versus no, Taker. I gave it a seven. But, uh, but for me, like on twenty four, I'm I'm a big champion of twenty four. So here's my little soapbox on it. I I really like uh, Sean versus Flair. I mean, it's four and a quarter. I like the triple threat a lot more than this triple threat. Like, I'm four on that. And then I'm also four on show versus Mayweather. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the money in the bank, it's, what, three and three quarters or yeah. four, whatever. It's up there. And then also I really like the opener. So it, it's it's in there. And that's not including the – I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the main event. It's three and a quarter or whatever. Like, I think it's better probably than this main event, but not by a whole lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good stretch of manias. I mean – yeah. I remember 26 being built really well and then kind of being disappointed. Built so amazingly. Oh, it was, it was built I'm, great. And, and just, I'm curious to see how the long term, like the, how this full season goes. So we'll, we'll track it. Mm. Uh, but before we get to that, we are a little bit of bookkeeping for you here. So uh, we're going to be off for a month just due to scheduling stuff and, and travel and whatnot. So no two, no show in two weeks. We gave you a supersize one tonight to try and fill that gap uh, with a special pop-up video, which is cool. Um, and thank you to producer Tim for doing all that. It was great. Um, we'll be back in a month, and we're not going to do Backlash. We have a special planned. Um, it's a 10-year anniversary of a very special occasion for the Place of Nation. So we're going to cover that. Uh, Chad will be back with us, with, along with a couple other luminaries. So we'll get into that uh, in a month. And then six weeks from now, we'll be covering Backlash 2009, which Scott, we were actually at as a province, yes. uh, the last pay-per-view in province before this past year. So we have some cool stuff coming. Uh, a lot of good content at Place of Nation wrestling feed, of course. Uh, as always, Place of Nation Pop Experience and the North South Connection. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube or NorthSouthConnection.com. PlaceNation.com has everything you could want from all your podcasts and some wrestling and beyond. So, uh, Chad, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Always Tim, again, thank you for piecing together all the fun facts and everything. That was really cool. A little thank bonus for 
everyone that uh, was checking us out on YouTube. Again, this is available there. If you're listening to audio and want to revisit it to check out the graphics, you can do that. Happy birthday, Scott. It's, uh, Happy birthday, JR. And a heck of a 12 years of uh, audio content with uh, all the shows that have spawned off it and everything else that we do. Right. More to come. We'll, we'll see if we keep going, but maybe we'll be back in, in a month. <laughs> so other than that, everyone take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks for checking us out. Definitely not a small one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not up to that.